Hello and welcome to Pablo's channel. Uh, the date today is the 27th of June, nearing July uh, 2021. And it's currently just coming up to 7 o'clock, 7pm. Uh, I am in the dining room again with relaxing focused music in the background. The sound of liquid water at the moment, but that may change. Uh, because it's on a, it's on YouTube music, and it will go to the next one. All of the theme of relaxing sounds. But yeah. <clears throat> so now we're up to um, chapter five of uh, LSD: Doorway to the Numinous, the groundbreaking psychedelic research into realms of the human unconscious by Stanislav Grof, MD, the Czech. Psychiatrist. So yeah, relax, and let's look into his uh, concept of the transpersonal experiences. Or well, the concept of transpersonal, the transpersonal experiences in LSD sessions. Transpersonal experiences occur only rarely in early sessions of psycholytic therapy. They become quite common in advanced sessions after the subject has worked through and integrated the material on the psychodynamic and perinatal levels. After the final experience of ego death and rebirth, transpersonal elements dominate all subsequent LSD sessions of the individual. Occasionally, transpersonal experiences can occur in the culmination periods of the first high-dose session of psychedelic treatment. Since transpersonal experiences represent a relatively new concept in psychology, the detailed discussion will be preceded by an attempt at their definition. The common denominator of this otherwise rich and ramified group of phenomena is the feeling of the individual uh, that his consciousness expanded beyond the usual ego boundaries and limitations of time and space. In the normal or usual states of consciousness, an individual experiences himself as existing within the boundaries of his physical body, which separate him distinctly from the rest of the world. He is clearly aware of the space he occupies as a physical entity and also of its interfaces with the external world. This is usually referred to as one's body image. His perception of the environment is restricted by the physically determined range of his ex exterioceptors. Both the internal perception, interioception, inter, inter, interoception, that's a I N T E R O C E P T I O N, and the Perception of the environment, exteroception, E X T E R O C E P T I O N, are subject to specific space time limitations. An individual can usually experience only those things happening at the present moment and in his present location. He can recall things that happened at another time and in another place and fantasize or anticipate things that will happen in the future. The basic characteristic of transpersonal experiences 
is that one or several of these limitations appear to be transcended. In some instances, the subject experiences loosening of his usual ego boundaries, and his consciousness and self-awareness seem to expand and to include and encompass other individuals and elements of the external world. In other instances, the subject continues to experience his own identity, but in a different form, at a different time, in a different place, or in a different context. In yet other cases, the subject experiences a complete loss of his own identity, and a complete identification with the consciousness of another being or entity. Finally, in a rather large category of transpersonal experiences, the subject's consciousness appears to encompass elements that do not have any continuity with his usual ego identity, and that cannot be considered simple derivatives of experiences in the three-dimensional world. On the basis of the above discussion, transpersonal experiences can be defined as experiences involving an expansion or extension of consciousness beyond the usual ego boundaries and beyond the limitations of time and or space. Transpersonal experiences cover such a wide range of phenomena and are so multifaceted that it's extremely difficult to find a suitable principium divisionis um, and present a simple and comprehensive system for their classification and systematic description. This problem can be approached from many different angles, all of which would yield interesting alternatives. For the purpose of, the discussion, of this discussion, I have decided to use a system of classification based on the distinction of whether or not the content of a particular transpersonal experience consists of elements of the three-dimensional phenomenal world of objective reality, as we know it from our usual state of consciousness. Some transpersonal experiences involve phenomena the existence of which has been generally accepted on the basis of consensual va- validation, empirical evidence or scientific research. This is true, for example, for embryonal experiences, ancestral and phylogenic memories or elements of the collective unconscious. It is not the content of the experience, the fact of one's embryonal development, genetic continuity with human and animal ancestors, or belonging to a particular racial or cultural group. That is unusual and surprising, but the existence of these elements in the human unconscious and the possibility to experience them consciously in a vivid and realistic way. The category of transpersonal experiences of this sort can be further subdivided on the basis of whether or not the extension of consciousness that they entail can be understood in terms of alteration of the dimensions of time or space. There exists also a group of ESP phenomena that could be classified as transpersonal experiences, the content of which is understandable within the framework of objective reality. In the case of precognition, clairvoyance and clairaudience, time travel, out-of-body experiences, travelling clairvoyance, (coughs) space travel (coughs) and telepathy, it again is not the content of the experiences that is unusual, but the way of acquiring certain information or perceiving a certain situation that, according to generally accepted scientific paradigms, is beyond the reach of the senses. The second broad category of transpersonal experiences would then involve phenomena that are not part of objective reality in the Western sense. This would apply to such experiences as communication, 
with spirits of deceased human beings or with superhuman spiritual entities encounter or encounter or identification with various deities archetypal experiences and so on the following tentative classification is based on the principle described above so let's have a look transpersonal experiences number one experiential extension within the framework of objective reality a temporal expansion of consciousness embryonal and fetal experiences ancestral experiences collective and racial experiences for the genetic evolutionary experiences past incarnation experiences precognition clairvoyance clairaudience and time travel and then we've got the spatial expansion of consciousness ego transcendence in interpersonal relations and the experience of dual unity identification with other persons group identification and group consciousness animal identification plant identification oneness with life and with all creation consciousness of inorganic matter planetary consciousness extraplanetary consciousness out of body experiences travelling clairvoyance and clairaudience space travels and telepathy and then we've got C spatial constriction of consciousness organ, tissue and cellular consciousness so we've got uh, part 2 part 1 was, was the experiential extension within the framework of objective reality and part 2 was experiential extension beyond the framework of objective reality beyond so not within, beyond and this is spiritualistic and mediumistic experiences experiences of encounters with superhuman spiritual entities experiences of other universes encounters with their inhabitants archetypal experiences and complex mythological sequences experiences of encounters with various deities intuitive understanding of universal symbols activation of the chakras and arousal of the serpent power Kundalini consciousness of the universal mind the super cosmic and metacosmic void it isn't necessary to bear in mind that transpersonal experiences especially in psychedelic sessions do not always occur in a pure form it was mentioned before that for example perinatal phenomena are frequently accompanied by certain types of transpersonal experiences such as identification with other persons group identification some archetypal experiences or encounters with various deities similarly embryonal experiences can occur simultaneously with genetic memories and with the experience of cosmic unity these associations are rather constant and they reflect deep intrinsic interrelations between various types of psychedelic phenomena as well as the multi-level nature of the LSD experience in what is to follow each of the transpersonal experiences mentioned previously in the synoptic list will be briefly described and some of them illustrated by typical clinical examples so the subheading experiential extension within the framework of objective reality uh, we've got temporal expansion of consciousness embryonal and fetal experiences 
the first transpersonal phenomenon that I observed or recognised in the course of early psycholytic therapy were embryonal and fetal experiences. Their existing represents a serious chance to accepted scientific paradigms, although they are certainly the least controversial of the various transpersonal elements that emerge in LSD sessions. We have already briefly mentioned certain aspects of these experiences in relationship to BPM1, since they frequently occur in the context of the perinatal unfolding. In psychedelic or advanced psycholytic sessions, vivid, concrete episodes that appear to be memories of specific events from an individual's intrauterine development are rather common. Many of these involve instances of psychotraumatization resulting from various noxious and disturbing stimuli of a mechanical, physical, biological or biochemical nature. Individuals reporting these relivings seem to be convinced that the fetus can subjectively experience not only gross disturbance of existence, such as attempted abortions, penetrating and loud sounds, intense vibrations and mechanical concussions, but also the distress associated with the mother's somatic condition when she is ill, exhausted or intoxicated. Even more surprising are numerous independent claims that the fetus is aware of or shares its mother's affective states. Subjects have reported in this connection fetal participation in the mother's anxiety attacks, emotional shocks, outbursts of anger or hate, depressive moods and sexual arousal or conversely in her feelings of relaxation, satisfaction, love and happiness. Another interesting aspect of this category of phenomena are accounts of the exchange of thoughts between the mother and child in the womb that have the form of telepathic communication. While experiencing the various intrauterine states, many LSD subjects felt that, during their fetal existence, this multi-level communication with their mother made them keenly aware of being wanted and loved, or unwanted and resented. In the therapy of many psychiatric patients, this issue was of crucial importance, and subjects would spend much time in their sessions working it through. For those individuals who were twins, sharing the room with a mate and, ri- and, and rival appeared to be a difficult and complex problem that required much intricate psychological work in the sessions. Fetal distress, however, is not the only content of intrauterine experiences. Equally frequent are episodes of positive oceanic feelings and blissful uni- uh, unity with the mother accompanied by a nourishing exchange of physical, emotional and spiritual energies, as well as comforting thoughts and insights of transcendental relevance. As in the case of the reliving of childhood and birth memories, the authenticity of recaptured intrauterine events is an open question. It seems, therefore, more appropriate to refer to them as experiences rather than memories. I would like to stress, however, that I have tried to be completely open-minded about this phenomenon. Whenever it was possible, I have made attempts at objectively verifying such episodes, no matter how absurd these attempts might have appeared to my colleagues. This task was even more difficult than in the case of childhood memories. However, on several occasions, 
I was able to get surprising confirmations by independently questioning the mother or other persons involved. It should be emphasised that this was done with all the precautions necessary to avoid any contamination of the data. Another interesting aspect of these experiences that I found quite unusual was the fact that subjects, when discussing them, seemed to avail themselves of specific knowledge of embryology and the physiology of pregnancy that was far superior to their previous education in these areas. They have often accurately described certain characteristics of the heart sounds of the mother and child, the nature of various acoustic phenomena in the peritoneal cavity, peritoneal, um, P-E-R-I-T-O-N-E-A-L, specific details of positions, physical features and behaviour of the fetus, relevant facts about planetary circulation, uh, no, sorry, about uh, placentary, placenta, like placenta, placentary circulation, and even details about exchanges between the maternal and fetal blood in the placentary villi, V-I-L-L-I. Sometimes the descriptions of gravitidi, gravitidi appearing in the accounts of LC subjects reflect an awareness of and participation in the processes involved on the level of tissue physiology, cellular exchange and biochemical reactions. Scientists from various disciplines, such as psychiatrists, psychologists and biologists, who volunteered for the LSD training programme expressed astonishment at how convincing and authentic these experiences could be. These same sophisticated subjects usually emphasise that experiences of this kind occurred in their sessions in spite of the fact that before the sessions they did not accept the possibility of prenatal memories. Moreover, the existence of such phenomena was contrary to their pre-session scientific beliefs. Sometimes, experiences of intrauterine existence depict very early stages of embryonal development. In this case, the emphasis usually is not of mother-fetus interaction or fetal reaction to external influences. Rather, the individual focuses on growing tissue. The differentiation of various organs and the biochemical processes involved in rapid growth. Insights experienced on this level are related to hereditary, spiritual and cosmic factors, co-determining the length of the embryo. They involve an awareness of genetic influences, cosmobiological and astrophysical energy fields, metaphysical forces, archetypical constellations and the operation of karmic law. It is evident from the above discussion that fetal and embryonal experiences occur in close connection with other types of transpersonal phenomena. Positive intrauterine experiences <coughs> can be associated with feelings of cosmic unity, images of various blissful deities and beneficent archetypes, especially those of the Great Mother and Mother Nature. Episodes of embryonal and fetal crises are accompanied by traumatic ancestral memories, visions of demons and wrathful deities, archetypical evil appearances and negative past incarnation experiences, bad karma. In addition, as has been suggested previously, elements of tissue and cellular consciousness are observed quite frequently in this context. Other typical concomitants of embryonal and fetal experiences are phylogenetic 
evolutionary memories. This liaison occurs even in unsophisticated subjects who know nothing about Ernst Haeckel's biogenetic law according to which the fetus repeats in, in its embryonal development. Ontogenesis, the history of its species, phylogenesis, in an abbreviated and condensed way. This section will be concluded by a short example illustrating the nature of interuterine experiences. It is one of the several observations in which the attempt at objective verification brought positive results. It involves part of an advanced LSD session of Richard, whose case was discussed in Chapter 3 in connection with the COEX systems. Condensed experience systems. In one of the sessions of his psycholytic series, Richard described what appeared to be a rather authentic intrauterine experience. He felt immersed in fetal liquid and fixed to the placenta by the umbilical cord. He was aware of nourishment streaming into his body through the navel area and experienced wonderful feelings of symbiotic unity with his mother. There was a continuity of circulation between them. Life-giving liquid blood seemed to create a sort of magical link between him and her. He heard two sets of heart sounds with different frequencies that were merging into one undulating acoustic pattern. This was accompanied by peculiar hollow and roaring noises that he identified after some hesitation as those produced by gas and liquid during the peristaltic movement of his mother's intestines adjacent to the uterus. He was fully aware of his body image and recognised that it was very different from his adult one. His head was disproportionately large as compared to the body and extremities. On the basis of cues that he was not able to identify and explain, he diagnosed himself as being a rather mature fetus just before delivery. In this state, he suddenly heard strange noises coming from the outside world. He had very unusual echoing quality as if resounding in a large hall or coming through a layer of water. The resulting effect reminded him of the type of sound that music technicians achieve through electronic means in modern recordings. He finally concluded that the abdominal wall and fetal liquid were responsible for the distortion and that this was the form in which external sounds reached the fetus. He tried to identify what produced the sounds and where they were coming from. After some time, he could recognise human voices laughing and yelling and sounds that resembled carnival trumpets. Suddenly, the idea came to him that this must have been the fair held uh, in his native village every year, uh, every year, two days prior to his birthday. After having put together the above pieces of information, he came to the conclusion that his mother must have attended this fair in an advanced stage of pregnancy. Richard's mother, when asked independently about the circumstances of his birth without being told about his LSD experience, volunteered, um, among other things, the, the following story. In the relatively dull life of the village, the annual fair was a rare excitement. Although she was in a late stage of pregnancy, she would not have missed this opportunity for anything in the world. In spite of strong objections and warnings from her mother and grandmother, she left home to, to participate in the festivities. 
according to her relatives, the noisy environment and excitement precipitated Richard's delivery. Richard denied ever having heard the story, and his mother did not remember having told him about it. The next subheading, Ancestral Experiences. This category of transpersonal experiences is characterised by a strong sense of regression in historical time to periods preceding the subject's conception and his embryological development. The individual feels that his memory has transcended its usual limits and that he, ha- that he is in touch with information related to the life of his biological ancestors. Sometimes such experiences are related to comparatively recent history and more immediate ancestors on the maternal or paternal side, such as parents or grandparents. In extreme form, however, they can reach back many generations or even centuries. In general, the content of these phenomena is always compatible with the individual's racial background and cultural history. Thus, a Jewish subject may experience episodes from tribal life in Israel during biblical times and develop a deep bond with his historical, religious and cultural heritage. A person of Scandinavian origin may witness various scenes from the adventurous explorations and conquests of the Vikings with a great vividness of specific detail in regard to garments, weapons, jewellery and naval technique. An African American may relive sequences from the life of his African ancestors involving ordinary village life as well as rich festivities and rituals. On another occasion, he can relive traumatic events from the early history of slavery. Such experiences are usually associated with interesting psychological insights. The subject can relate these archaic elements to his present personality and come aware of their influence on his everyday behaviour. Ancestral experiences are multiform and complex. Sometimes they involve actual reliving of short episodes from the life of one's ancestors or whole sequences that are specific and rich in concrete detail. In other instances, they follow the pattern of tuning in to the personality of a certain individual in one's biological lineage to the point of complete physical, emotional and intellectual identification with this person. On occasion, ancestral experiences are of a more diffuse and generalised nature. They can have the form of complex feelings concerning the psychological atmosphere and interpersonal relations in families, clans and tribes, or that of intuitive insights into cultural attitudes, belief systems, family customs, traditions, superstitions and prejudices. Some subjects have reported in this context that as a result of such experiences they have developed a new understanding of some of their personal problems and conflicts. They could trace them back to friction points, incompatibilities and incongruities between their maternal and paternal lineages and realise that what was considered to have been primary intrapsychic problems were actually interjected and internalised conflicts between generations of their dead kinsmen. There are two important characteristics of ancestral experiences that differentiate them from the following group, the collective and racial experiences. The persons with whom the individual's identities always belong to his own cultural group or to his possible 
biological lineage. The more important distinction is a certain experiential quality of ancestral experiences. They are accompanied by the subject's conviction that he is confronted with events that form a part of his own developmental line, as if he were reading his own genetic code. One aspect of ancestral experiences deserves special attention. Careful and unbiased study can occasionally reveal that they convey specific information that was unknown to the subject, and in some instances not even accessible to him at the time of the session. The mechanism involved is, at this point, quite obscure. None of the explanations available seems to cover all the unusual coincidences of this kind observed during my LSD work. The nature of this problem can be illustrated by the following typical example. Nadja, that's N-A-D-J-A, a 50-year-old psychologist, experienced in her LSD uh, training session a very realistic identification with her mother and relived a scene that she considered to be, to be a part of her mother's childhood. Here is her report of the relived event. To my great surprise, my ego identity was suddenly changed. I was my mother at the age of three or four. It must have, uh, it must have been the year 1902. I was dressed up in a starched, fussy dress and hiding underneath the staircase. My eyes were dilated like those of a frightened animal and I felt anxious and lonely. I was covering my mouth with my hand, painfully aware that something terrible had just happened. I had said something very bad, was criticised and someone roughly put their hand over my mouth. From my hideout, I could see a scene from many relatives, aunts and uncles, sitting on the porch of a frame house, in old-fashioned dresses characteristic of that time. Everybody seemed to be talking, unmindful of me. I had a sense of failure and felt overwhelmed by the unrealistic demands of the adults. To be good, to behave myself, to talk properly, not to get dirty. It seemed so impossible to please them. I felt excluded ostracised and ashamed. Motivated by professional interest, Nadja approached her mother to obtain the necessary data about her childhood, which they had never discussed before. Reluctant to admit that she had had an LSD uh, session, which her mother would have disapproved of, she explained to her that she had had a dream about her mother's childhood and wanted to know if it was true. No sooner had she started her story than her mother interrupted her and finished it in full accord with the reliving. She added many details about her childhood that logically complemented the episode experienced in the LSD session. She confessed to Nadja how ominous and strict her mother had been to her. She talked about her mother's excessive demands regarding cleanliness and proper behaviour. This was reflected in her mother's favourite saying... Children should be seen, but not heard. Nadja's mother then emphasised how lonely she had felt during her whole childhood, being the only girl with too much older brothers, and how much she craved to have playmates. The description of the house exactly matched Nadja's LSD experience, including the large porch and the steps leading up to it. 
Chosha mentioned the dress is covered by starched white pinafores, P-I-N-A-F-O-R-E-S, that were characteristic of her childhood. According to the mother's narrative, Nadja's grandmother used to invite many relatives for family reunions on Sundays and made food for everyone. A researcher studying transpersonal phenomena occurring in LSD sessions has to be prepared for many baffling observations and coincidences that can put that can put to a serious test the existing scientific beliefs and instigate doubts about the validity of some widely accepted and shared basic premises. The following illustration is one of the most unusual coincidences that I have encountered during my LSD work. The phenomenon involves having an ambiguous quality since they have the combined characteristics of ancestral and past incarnation experiences. This example shows clearly the complexity of this area of research. It is taken from the psycholytic treatment of Renata discussed in the early part of chapter 3. In the advanced stage of Renata's psycholytic therapy, an unusual and unprecedented sequence of events was observed. Four consecutive LSD sessions consisted almost exclusively of scenes from a particular historical period. She experienced a number of episodes that took place in Prague during the 17th century. This time was a crucial period in Czech history. After the disastrous battle of White Mountain in 1621, which marked the beginning of the Thirty Years' War in Europe, the country ceased to exist as an independent kingdom and came under the hegemony of the Habsburg dynasty. In an effort to destroy the feelings of national pride and defeat the force of resistance, the Habsburgs sent out mercenaries to capture the country's most prominent noblemen. Twenty-seven outstanding members of the nobility were arrested and beheaded at a public execution on a scaffolding erected on the old town square in Prague. During her historical sessions, Renata had an unusual variety of images and insights concerning the architecture of the experienced period and typical garments and costumes, as well as weapons and various utensils used in everyday life. She was also able to describe many of the complicated relationships existing at that time between the royal family and the vassals. Renata had never specifically studied this historical period, and special books were consulted in order to confirm the reported information. Many of her experiences were related to various periods in the life of young noblemen. One of the 27 members of the nobility beheaded by the Habsburgs. In a dramatic sequence, Renata finally relived with powerful emotions and in considerable detail the actual events of the execution, including this nobleman's terminal anguish and agony. On many occasions, Renata experienced full identification with this individual. She was not quite clear how the historical sequences were related to her present personality and what they meant. Despite her present beliefs and philosophy, she, con- she finally concluded that these experiences must have been relivings of events from the life of one of her ancestors. Being an intimate witness of this personal drama, I shared Renata's bewilderment and confusion. Trying to decipher this enigma, I chose two different approaches. One hand, 
I spent a considerable amount of time in an effort to verify the historical information involved and was increasingly impressed by its accuracy. On the other hand, I tried to apply a psychoanalytic approach to the content of an artist's stories in the hope that I would be able to understand them in psychodynamic t- terms as a symbolic disguise for her childhood experiences or elements of her present life situation. No matter how hard I tried, the experiential sequences did not make sense from this point of view, and I finally gave up on this problem when Renata's LSD experiences moved into new areas. Focused on other, more immediate tasks, I stopped thinking about this peculiar incident. Two years later, when I was already in the United States, I received a long letter from Renata with the following unusual introduction. Dear Dr. Groff, you will probably think that I am absolutely insane when I share with you the results of my recent private search. In the text that followed, Renata described how she had happened to meet her father, whom she had not seen since her parents' divorce when she was three years old. After a short discussion, her father invited her to have dinner with him, his second wife and their children. After dinner, he told her that he wanted to show her his favourite hobby, which she might find of special interest. During World War II, it was required by Nazis that every family present to, present to the German authorities its, its pedigree demonstrating the absence of persons of Jewish origin for the last five generations. Preparing such a pedigree because of existential necessity, Renato's father became absolutely fascinated by this procedure. After he had completed the required five-generation pedigree for the authorities, he continued this activity because of his private interest, tracing the history of his family back through the centuries, thanks to the relatively complete system of birth records kept in the archives of parish houses in European countries. After dinner, the father showed Renata with considerable pride a carefully designed ramified pedigree of their family, indicating that they were descendants of one of the noblemen executed after the Battle of White Mountain. After I described this episode in the letter, Renata expressed her belief that highly emotionally charged memories can be imprinted in the genetic code and transmitted through centuries to future generations. The information obtained from her father only confirmed her previous obsession suspicion, which was based on the convincing nature of the relived memories. After my initial amazement in regard to this most unusual coincidence, I discovered a rather serious logical inconsistency in Renata's account. One of the experiences she had had in her historical LSD sessions was the reliving of the terminal anguish of the nobleman during his own execution. Physical death terminates, of course the biological hereditary line. A dead person cannot procreate and genetically pass the memory of his terminal anguish to future generations. Before completing, before completely discarding information contained in Renata's letter as supporting evidence for the existence of ancestral memories, several facts deserve serious consideration. None of the remaining Czech patients who had a total of over 2,000 sessions had ever even mentioned this historical period. 
In Renata's case, four consecutive LC sessions contained almost exclusively historical sequences from this time. The unusual coincidence of the experiences with the results of her father's independent geological quest makes this clinical observation a rather difficult problem to interpret within the framework of traditionally accepted paradigms. Now I'm going to read the next subheading, Collective and Racial Experiences. This category of transpersonal phenomena is related to C.G. Jung's concept of the collective and racial unconscious. The spontaneous emergence of such experiences in unsophisticated subjects who have not been exposed to Jungian ideas can be considered important supportive evidence and experimental confirmation of one of the most controversial aspects of Jung's analytical uh, psychology. Subjects tuned into these realms of the unconscious can go through brief episodes or long elaborate sequences that take place in different countries and or different centuries and depict various historical and contemporary cultures. These scenes can be experienced in the role of observer, but more frequently the subject identifies with one representative of the culture involved or with a greater number of them. This is typically associated with global as well as detailed insights concerning social structure, religious cosmology, forms of worship, moral code, specific characteristics of art, technological development and many other aspects of these cultures. Collective and racial experiences can be related to any country, historical period and cultural tradition, although there seems to be a certain preference for ancient cultures and countries with highly developed religious, philosophical and artistic traditions. Sequences related to Egypt, India, Tibet, China, Japan, pre-Columbian Mexico and Peru and ancient Greece tend to occur with surprising frequency. The choice of the cultures and their specific aspects seem to be quite independent of the subject's ethnic background, country of origin, cultural tradition and even previous training, education and interests. An Anglo-Saxon can, therefore, experience full identification with various periods in the history of African Americans or North American Indians and develop, as a result, a new sensitivity to an awareness of racial problems. A person of Jewish heritage can tune in to the culture idea, culture areas of the Far East and relive sequences from early China or Japan to enhance his understanding and appreciation of Buddhist or Taoist philosophy, Japanese music, the martial arts and other aspects of these oriental traditions. Similarly, uh, an individual of Slavic origin can, can participate in the, ancient, in the a Asian conquests of Genghis Khan's Mongolian hordes, identify with African Bushmen or Australian Aborigines and become a participant observer in sacred ceremonies from those Central American pre-Columbian cultures in whose religions bloody, sacrifice, bloody sacrifice and self-sacrifice were espoused. I've got a picture here, well three pictures, and they're saying paintings, paintings from an advanced LSD session depicting archetypal material and elements of racial and collective unconscious. The author has never studied ancient cultures 
and could not relate these pictures to any known cultural area. The information communicated by these experiences is usually quite accurate and can be verified by consultation of archaeological and anthropological sources. It frequently encompasses specific esoteric details. In many instances, the degree of historical or ethnographic knowledge that emerges is clearly incongruent with the subject's previous education and level information in these areas. On occasion, unsophisticated individuals have described details of Egyptian funeral services, including the form and meaning of various amulets and sepulchral boxes, the colours of funeral cones, the technology of embalmment and mummification, and the sequence of ritual procedures followed. One subject who experienced himself in one of his LSD sessions was an embalmer in ancient Egypt was able to describe the size and quality of the mummy bandages, materials used in fixing the mummy cloth, and the shape and symbolism of the four canoptic jars and the corresponding canoptic chests. Uh, we've got a star here. Canoptic jars is the name given to the series of four jars in which the organs of a deceased person were placed. Each jar was dedicated to one of the four genii, that's G-E-N-I-I, of the Egyptian underworld. It was related to one of the cardinal points and had the shape of the deity to whom it was dedicated. The man-headed jar, south, contained the stomach and large intestines. The dog-headed one, north, the, the small intestines. The jackal-headed, east, the lungs and heart and the hawk-headed, west, the liver and gallbladder. The chests or coffers for canoptic jars were made of wood and usually painted black. Other individuals gained an intuitive understanding of the functions of various Egyptian deities, the symbolism related to them, and the esoteric significance of the pyramids and the sphinx. In one instance, a subject who had experienced sequences from the life of old Parsees, P-A-R-S-E-E-S, was able to describe not only the nature of their religion and their funeral practices, but also specific technological details of the Zoroastrian Dachmas, D-A-K-H-M-A-S, Dachmas, I think, Towers of Silence, in which the dead were devoured by vultures so that they would not contaminate the sacred elements of earth and fire. On other occasions, LSD subjects had interesting insights into Hinduism and Buddhism and manifested a deep understanding of their religious practices as well as the symbolism of the paintings and the sculpture to be found in these religions. Many additional examples involving other cultures could be cited in this context. Sometimes such experiences are accompanied by symbolic gestures or complex and elaborate sequences of motor activity to express or illustrate their content. It is not uncommon that in association with specific LSD experiences, some subjects discover the meaning of various symbolic gestures, mudras, or spontaneously assume quite unusual postures, asanas, known from Hatha Yaga. In several instances, individuals enmeshed in elements of a certain culture felt a strong need to dance. By any previous training or specific exposure to these cultures, they were able to perform complicated dance forms. Examples of such behaviour observed in LSD sessions range from the Kung Bushman dance, uh, trance dance, 
Kung Bushman trance dance and other African tribal rituals, Middle Eastern belly dancing and whirling like the dervishes of the Sufi tradition, to Indonesian art forms as practiced in Java or Bali, and the symbolic dancing of the Indian Kathakali, that's K-A-T-H-A-K-A-L-I, or Mani Puri School. I've got a, a star for that. Kathakali dancing is performed along the Malabar Coast, M-A-L-A-B-A-R. It expresses themes taken from Hindu mythological sources, such as the great epics Mahabharata and Ramayana, or later Puranas. The actors, magnificently dressed and painted, do not speak but mime the text. Manipuri dancers are practiced in the little kingdom of Manipur in Assam. That's A S S A M. They have a very rich symbolic sign language used to communicate various stories from the life of the god Krishna and his beloved Radha. Collective and racial experiences can be combined with other types of transpersonal phenomena described later in this chapter. As suggested in the above discussion, they often involve a full identification with individual representatives of various cultures or elements of group consciousness. In their extreme form, they can encompass the consciousness of entire racial groups or the totality of the human race. Such experiential expansion of the individual to the consciousness of all mankind can approximate the Jungian archetype of the cosmic man. Some of these phenomena have the flavour of clairvoyance and clairaudience, travelling clairvoyance, or space and time travels. An important characteristic of collective and racial memories is the fact that the subject experiences them as insights into the diversity of cultural groups within the human race, illustrations of the history of mankind, or manifestations of the cosmic drama and the divine play, Leela. In such a situation, a subject does not have the feeling that he is exploring his actual biological history, a quality essential for essential experiences, or that he is reliving scenes from his previous lifetimes, characteristic of past incarnation experiences. Next subheading is phylogenetic evolution experiences. Heard was using this, wasn't he, in this uh, book? in the five ages of man. Phylogenetic. This type of experience involves a complete and quite realistic identification with animals on various levels of phylogenetic development. As in the case of ancestral experiences, it is accompanied by a sense of regression in historical time. The subject has a very vivid and convincing feeling that the animal specimens he identifies with are part of phylogenetic history and that he is exploring the evolution of the species in nature. The objects of identification are most frequently other mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and various species of fish. Occasionally, they can be much less differentiated forms of life, such as insects, gastropods, various snails, brachiopods, brachiopods, uh, B-R-A-C-H-I-O-P-O-D-S, shellfish, cephalopods, that's uh, octopus and squid and co elenterets sea anemones, and jellyfish. The subjective identification process occurring in phylogenetic experiences is rather complex and authentic. It can include size, body image, 
variety of specific physiological sensations, particular emotions and instinctual drives, as well as unusual perceptions of the environment. Evolutionary memories have specific experiential characteristics that make them make them phenomena sui generis. That's S-U-I and then G-E-N-E-R-I-S. They are distinctly different from human experiences and often seem to transcend the scope and limits of human fantasy and imagination. The individual can have, for example, an illuminated insight, illuminated insight into what it feels like when a snake is hungry, when a turtle is sexually excited, when a hummingbird is feeding its young, or when a shark breathes through its gills. Subjects have reported that they have experienced a drive that sustains an eel or a sockeye salmon on its heroic journey against the river's flow. The sensations of a spider spinning its web or the mysterious process of metamorphosis from an egg through a caterpillar and chrysalis to a butterfly. Identification with other vertebrates can occasionally have specific physical concomitants that are accessible to an objective observer. Such experiences can be accompanied by unusual innovations. Innovation, that's I-N-N-E-R-V-A-T-I-O-N-S. Innovations of skeletal muscles, uh, changes in neurological patterns, and sequences of motor activity that are not observed in man under normal circumstances. They appear to be related to the selective activation and automatic functioning of the so-called extrapermedal system and other archaic neuronal pathways. It is not uncommon for subjects reporting evolutionary experiences to manifest a detailed knowledge of the animals with whom they have identified, of their physical characteristics, habits and behaviour patterns that far exceeds their education in the natural sciences. On occasion, subjects have accurately described courtship dances, complicated reproductive cycles, techniques of nest building, patterns of aggression and defence, and many other zoological and ethnological facts about the animals they have experienced in sessions. To illustrate this category, we will use an example from an advanced LSD session of Renata, since the basic data of her case history were given earlier in Chapter 3. At one point in her session, Renata had a sense of complete identification with a female of a species of, a lar- of large reptiles that became extinct million- millions of years ago. She felt sleepy and lazy as she rested on sand by a big lake and basked luxuriously in the sun. While experiencing this in the session, she opened her eyes and looked at the therapist, who seemed transformed into a good-looking male of the same species. Her feelings of laziness immediately vanished, and she experienced strong sexual arousal and attraction. According to her description, these feelings did not have anything to do with human erotic and sexual excitement. It was a quite unique and specific reptilian interest in and attraction to the opposite sex. Any notion of the mouth, genitals or other parts of the body might interest her in a human partner was completely missing. She was absolutely fascinated by scale-like facets that she visualised on the side of the therapist's head. One large field of this sort seemed to have a shape and colour that she found irresistible. It appeared to be radiating powerful sexual vibrations. Since certain characteristics of the experience were so unusual and concrete, I decided to consult a good friend of mine who was a paleontologist 
educated in zoology and well acquainted with animal behaviour. As I expected, he did not have any ethological information on the mating habits of antediluvian reptiles. However, he showed me passages in the zoological literature indicating that in certain contemporary reptiles, particularly distinct cooled areas on the head, play an important role as triggers of sexual arousal. Next subheading, past incarnation experiences. This is probably the most interesting and enigmatic category of transpersonal phenomena. Past incarnation experiences consist of fragments of scenes, individual events, or entire, rather clear and logical sequences occurring at another place in time and history. In this, they resemble elements of the collective and racial unconscious and some ancestral experiences. The events involved, however, are very dramatic and are accompanied by an unusually intense emotional charge of a distinctly positive or negative quality. An essential characteristic of these phenomena is what what could be called a past incarnation experiential quality. The subject participating in these dramatic sequences maintains his ego identity, although he experiences himself in another form, another place, and time, and another context. He feels that he is basically the same individual entity as in his present existence. He also has a keen sense of being confronted with a memory of reliving something that he has already seen and experienced. This deja vu, vu, and deja vu, v-e-c-u, flavour is specific. The individual feels and knows beyond any doubt that his experience is not related to or derived from anything in his present lifetime, and that it is a manifestation of one of his previous incarnations. These experiences are not infrequent in advanced psycholytic sessions and occasionally can be observed in a first high-dose psychedelic session. Belief in reincarnation and familiarity with this concept is not a necessary prerequisite for their occurrence. They can be observed in sessions of scientists who previously considered this idea to be an absurd superstition of unsophisticated and uneducated individuals, or a primitive cultural delusion shared by certain groups of religious fanatics in India. In several instances, subjects who have not been familiar with this concept has not only past incarnation experiences, but also complex and detailed insights into this area that were strikingly similar to those described in various religious and occult scriptures. In one case, an uneducated, unskilled labourer suffering from terminal cancer experienced in his session elaborate and illuminating insights into the mechanics of past incarnation and operations of the karmic law. He had done little regard reading he did, sorry, he he had done little reading in his life and claimed that he had not discussed these issues with anyone prior to his psychedelic session. In fact, he was at first embarrassed to share his experiences with the therapist because he perceived them to be so strange and alien. Describe the content of the session. He was very tentative and apologetic and expected the therapist to think he was out of his mind. The opening of this transpersonal area in his unconscious helped him face the grim reality of his life situation and ultimately meet death with equanimity. Past incarnation experiences usually entail one or several other persons. 
Animals rarely appear as partners in such sequences. When they do, the subject feels that he became karmically imprinted on a scene in which he was killed by a tiger, bitten by a venomous snake, trampled to death by a wild elephant, or gored by a frenzied bull. Occasionally, the experiencer is the only protagonist in past life experiences. He might have to relive the bitterness, hatred and envy that seem to be connected with a painful and disabling disease or crippling accident in his previous incarnation. Subjects have also relived the anxiety and terminal agony associated with accidental death, such as that occurring under a rock slide, the slow death in a swamp or quicksand, and emoliation during a volcanic eruption and other conflagrations. Karmic experiences fall into two distinct categories, distinguished by the quality of the emotions involved. Some of them reflect highly positive, effective associations with another person. Most common of these are total mutual understanding, a nourishing and supportive exchange, a love bond, deep friendship or spiritual partnership. The second group consists of scenes with strong negative emotional concommitments. The experiences belonging to this group cast subjects into past life situations characterised by agonising physical pain, bitterness, hatred and murderous aggression, inhuman terror and anguish, lustful passion, insane jealousy or morbid greed and avarice. Many individuals described in such phenomena have felt that all the above negative emotions intensified beyond a certain point actually closely resemble each other. Accordingly, there exists a universal emotional pattern that represents the common denominator of all these emotions. It is a state of high emotional and biological arousal in which all the effective modalities converge, a melting pot of experiential qualities of an inhuman and unhuman nature, and a point where the bestial aspects of man reach metaphysical dimensions. More sophisticated individuals equated this undifferentiated arousal with trisna, which is T-R-S-N-A, or tanha, T-A-N-H-A, the first of flesh and blood. That, according to Buddhist teaching, is the force that perpetuates the cycle of death and rebirth and is responsible for all suffering. It is this experience of unspecific affective activation that becomes imprinted as an unfinished gestalt that is subsequent that in subsequent lifetimes requires repetition and resolution. Such karmic fixation occurring in LC sessions cannot be worked through by the mere full reliving of all the painful emotion associated with a destructive karmic scene. To reach a satisfying completion, the experiencer has to transcend the event emotionally, ethically and spiritually, rise above it and finally forgive and to and be forgiven. LC subjects have repeatedly stated that it does not seem to make a difference whether they were the oppressor or the victim of a negative karmic situation. It appears as though it was it is the dyad the dyadic D Y A D I C dyadic traumatic pattern that is imprinted. On a deep level, the emotional state of the sadistic torture is similar to that of the tortured, and the raging drive of the murderer fuses with the anguish of his dying victim. The inability to forgive 
and transcend one's suffering appears to be to be as conducive to karmic imprinting as acting performed injustice or violence. The opening of the area of past incarnation experiences in LSD sessions is sometimes preceded by complex instructions received through non-verbal means, i.e. on an intuitive level, to introduce the individual to the fact of reincarnation, make him recognise the responsibility for his past deeds, and present the law of karma as an important part of the cosmic order that is mandatory for all sentient beings. In addition to this more genuine information, such insights can encompass details that concern the mechanisms involved in the process of rebirth and the necessary prerequisites for karmic liberation. According to the reports of LSD subjects, the laws of reincarnation are closely related to, but virtually independent of, the subject's biological lineage and the genetic transfer of idioplasma. The assignment of an individual's spiritual entity to a particular physical body occurs during conception according to its karmic past, referred to in the mystical literature as the Akashic Record. This choice bypasses the laws of hereditary and genetics. The resolution of a karmic karmic pattern and liberation from the bonds it represents are associated with a sense of paramount accomplishment and triumph. Frequently, an individual feels that he has waited for and worked toward this event for many centuries and that, even if he achieves nothing else in this lifetime, he has been fruitful and successful because, in its course, one of the karmic bonds was finally broken. The resolution of a single karmic pattern can thus result in feelings of indescribable bliss. The relevance of this event appears to be dictated by cosmic forces and is beyond the comprehension of the experiencer. On several occasions, it was accompanied by the experiential phenomenon of a gigantic karmic hurricane or cyclone blowing through the centuries and tearing karmic bonds related to scenes from various lifetimes that were secondary derivatives and repetitions of the original imprint resolved in the session. These phenological events bear a certain resemblance to some of the subjective experiences that accompanied the Buddha's efforts to achieve enlightenment. It seems premature at this point to discuss the problem of the origin of these experiences and their ontological relevance. There is no doubt, however, that they represent the same phenomenon that has been described for centuries within such diverse religious, philosophical and mystical frameworks as the cosmologies of certain African and Amerindian cultures, the Orphic cult, Plato's philosophy, early Christian thought and several major religions of India, in particular Hinduism, Buddhism and Jainism. Next sub uh, heading Precognition, Clairvoyance, Clairaudience, and Time Travels. The most characteristic aspect of ESP phenomena in this group is the transcendence of the usual limitations of time and the resulting temporal extension of consciousness. Occasionally, LSD subjects report, particularly in advanced sessions, of a psycholytic series, anticipation of events that will happen in the future. Sometimes they witness complex and detailed scenes of future happenings in the form of vivid clairvoyant visions and can even hear the acoustic concomitants that are part of it. And later, the latter range from ordinary sounds of everyday life. Musical sequences, single words and entire sentences 
So noise is produced by motor vehicles and various alarming acoustic signals. The sound of fire engines, ambulance sirens, or blowing car horns. Some of these experiences manifest various degrees of similarity with actual events occurring at a later time. Objective verification in this area can be particularly difficult. Unless these instances are reported and clearly documented during the LSD session, there is a great danger of contamination of data. Loose interpretation of events, distortions of memory, and the possibility of deja vu phenomena during the perception of later occurrences are several of the major pitfalls involved. One general comment should be made in this context concerning the instance of ESP phenomena in LSD sessions. Objective testing in the laboratory usually fails to demonstrate an increase of extrasensory perception as a standard and constant aspect of the LSD effect. States conducive to various paranormal phenomena and characterised by an unusually high instance of ESP are, however, among the many alternative mental conditions that can be facilitated by this drug. Another interesting element in this category is the experience of time travel. Here, the LSD subject is convinced that he can transcend the limitations of time at will and, tra and travel to any particular time period in a way not unlike that of a science fiction's time machines. Such an individual can perceive a casual connection between his deliberate choice of, of such time periods and the subsequent subjective experiences. This is usually combined with a similar voluntary manipulation of the location of the events involved. The subject's feeling of making a free decision distinguishes the experiences from spontaneous, elemental and uncontrollable reliving of episodes from childhood, ancestral experiences or aspects of the collective and racial unconscious. Next subheading, with a big subheading, Spatial Expansion of Consciousness, with a subheading underneath that, Ego Transcendence in Interpersonal Relationships and the Experience of Dual Unity. This type of transpersonal phenomenon is characterised by a transcendence of the usual spatial limits of consciousness. The subject experiences various degrees of loosening and losing of ego boundaries, merging with another person into a state of unity and oneness. In spite of feeling totally fused with the personal partner, the individual always retains simultaneously the awareness of his own identity. In LSD sessions, this state of dual unity can be experienced with the therapist, sitter, family members, or other participating persons. It can also occur entirely in the inner space of the individual, on a purely subjective level and can be quite independent of the person's person actually present during the session. Typical examples of this category are symbiotic union between mother and child, the unit of fusion with a sexual partner, with or without the element of genital union, and the sense of oneness with a spiritual teacher, the guru-disciple relationship. The experiences of dual unity are accompanied by profound feelings of love, and of the sacredness of the relationship involved. Next up heading, identification with other persons. In contrast with the preceding transpersonal group, here the subject feels a complete identification with another person and loses to a great degree the awareness of his own original identity. 
This identification is total and complex. It includes the body image, emotional reactions and attitudes, psychological characteristics, facial expression, typical gestures and mannerisms, postures, movements and even the inflection of the voice. There are many different forms and levels of this experience. Thus, reliving of traumatic childhood experiences involving more than one person is frequently characterised by simultaneous or alternating identification with all protagonists. This can give a transpersonal flavour to many otherwise typically personal experiences. In this connection, or independently, the subject can identify with his children, parents and other close relatives, with friends, acquaintances and teachers. On the other occasions, this process has involved prominent politicians, scientists and artists, or typical representatives of various professional, ethnic and racial groups. Equally common is identification with famous historical figures or religious teachers. The list of individuals who emerge in the sessions in this context would be very long. We will mention only a few of the famous personages who appear with unusual frequency. They are Albert Einstein, Richard Wagner, Ludwig van Beethoven, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Galileo Galilei, Franz Kafka, Genghis Khan, Emperor Nero, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Teresa, Jesus Christ, the Buddha, and Sri Ramanan Maharishi, Ramanana Maharishi. Maharishi. Uh, next subheading, group identification and group consciousness. This category is characterised by a further spatial expansion of consciousness. Instead of identifying with individual persons, the subject manifests collective awareness of an entire group of people. The fact that uniting and characterising the members of such a group can be their race, nationality, cultural heritage, religion, profession, shared ideology or destiny. In this way, the subject can experience the role of the Jews persecuted, persecuted through the centuries, the Christians tortured and sacrificed by the Romans, the victims of the Spanish Inquisition, or the prisoners in Nazi concentration camps. One can feel the quality of the religious zeal of all the Muslims during their pilgrimage to Mecca, the devotion of the Hindus at the time of the worship by the Ganges River, or the fanaticism of extremist religious sects, such as the flagellants, the snake handlers, or the Russian Skopzi. In an LSD session, it is possible to experience the totality of suffering of all the soldiers who have ever died on battlefields since the beginning of history. The revolutionary fear of all the communists of the world, obsessed by the idea of overthrowing the capitalist regimes or the tenderness of all mothers loving their mother, their children, and feeling concerned about their well-being. In these experiences, one can identify with whole social classes or castes, or the population of an entire country. In the extreme form of group identification, the subject can experience his consciousness expanding to encompass every member of the human race, indeed all of humanity. Next subheading, animal identification. These frequently occurring experiences 
are in many respects similar to the previously described for the genetic memories. The identification with various animals is equally authentic and realistic, and both categories can contain interesting and accurate information related to zoology, ethology, and, and uh, animal psychology. The major difference between them is that simple animal identification is not accompanied by the sense of time regression and by the feeling that the individual is exploring the evolutionary lines of phylogenetic development. It is important to distinguish genuine animal identification from the much more superficial, auto-symbolic animal transformations. The latter is related to the psychodynamic level of the unconscious and has a symbolic meaning and dynamic structure not dissimilar to those of dream images. The individual usually recognises it as a cryptic message about his personality characteristics or his life situation and is open to a psychoanalytic approach to this phenomenon. An auto-symbolic stylization into a predator, such as a tiger, lion or black panther, can be deciphered as an expression of the subject's intense aggressive feelings. Transformation into a monkey can represent a polymorphously perverted tendencies and an uninhibited indulgence in gentle as well as pre-genital pleasures. A strong sexual drive can be symbolised by a stallion or a bull if it has a strong component lust and promiscuity. promiscuity. It might be depicted by identification with a wild boar. A streak of masculine vanity and sexually tainted exhibitionism can be ridiculed by the auto-symbolic representation of the subject as a noisy cock on the dunghill. The symbol of a donkey or ox is related to stupidity. A mule indicates stubbornness, and a hog can represent self-neglect, sloppiness and moral flaws. Genuine animal identification is a clearly transpersonal experience and has a primary quality. It is a phenomenon generis, S-U-I-G-E-N-E-R-I-S, that cannot be derived from other unconscious material and interpreted symbolically. The three types of LSD experiences related to animals, animal auto-symbolic transformations, animal identifications and phylogenic memories each have their specific characteristics. Subjects who have encountered all three of these experiential varieties can easily distinguish among them. Next up heading, plant identification. The instances of experience in consciousness of various plant forms are in general much less frequent than those concerning animal life. An individual tuned into this area has a unique feeling of witnessing and consciously participating in the basic physiological processes of plants. He can experience himself as a germinating seed, a leaf in the course of photosynthetic activity, or a root reaching out for water and nourishment. On other occasions, a subject might identify with the Venus flytrap or other carnivorous plants, become plankton in the ocean, and experience pollination or cellular divisions occurring during vegetable growth. Subjects have also reported that they witnessed botanical processes on a molecular level. They were aware of the biochemical synthesis underlying the production of auxins, A-U-X-I-N-S, 
vegetable pigments, oils and sugars, aromatic substances and various alkaloids. The experiences of plant consciousness represent an interesting category of transpersonal phenomena. No matter how fantastic and absurd their content might seem to our common sense, it is not easy to discard them as mere fantasy. They occur independently in various individuals in advanced stages of treatment and have a very special experiential flavour that cannot be easily communicated in words. It is difficult to identify their source in the unconscious or explain them from some of the more unusual unconscious material. Also, the reason why the subject experiences them is often completely obscure. Elements of plant consciousness can be accompanied by philosophical and spiritual ideation and insights. Several, sub several subjects, for example, have pondered over the purity and unselfishness of plant existence and have seen plant life as a model for ideal human conduct. Unlike animals and man, most plants do not kill and do not live at the expense of other organisms. They are in direct contact with all four elements, earth, water, air and fire. And their ability to transform cosmic energy is absolutely indispensable for life on this planet. Plants are uncontaminated by questions about purpose, awareness of goals or concerns about the future. Rather, they seem to represent pure being in the here and now, the ideal of many mystical and religious schools. Not exploiting and hurting other organisms, most plants serve themselves as a source of food and bring beauty and joy into the life of others. Several individuals who have had experiences of plant consciousness felt that they now understood the relevance of scientific research concerned with plant sensitivity as exemplified by the work of Sir Jagadis Chandra Boyce in Calcutta. That's uh, J-A-G-A-D-I-S and then Chandra C-H-A-N-D-R-A and Boyce B-O-S-E and Darjeeling or the more recent experiments done by Cleve Baxter Baxter C-L-E-V-E by the way Cleve Large trees known for their longevity, such as sequoias and redwoods, were experienced in the sessions as representing timeless and scented consciousness uninfluenced by the turmoils and upheavals in the external world. Other insights associated with similar experiences were related to the mystical connotations and deep religious significance of certain plants. The most salient examples of this sort are the symbolism of the lotus in Buddhism, the importance of corn in the cosmology of North American Indians, the deification of Soma by the ancient Aryans, the use of mistletoe in Druid rituals, and above all, the religions and cults built around psychedelic plants, as exemplified by peyote, Mexican sacred mushrooms, and yahe. On numerous occasions, these experiences had practical consequences. The fascination with the purity of the vegetable kingdom, together with the aversion towards slaughter generated in perinatal sessions, resulted in an appreciation of an interest in the vegetarian diet. Next subheading, oneness with life and with all creation. In where instances, an LSD subject can have the feeling that his consciousness has expanded to encompass the totality of life on this planet, including all humankind and the entirety of flora and fauna. 
from unicellular organism to highly differentiated, differentiated species. An individual can identify with the phylogenetic evolution of life in all its complexity and reach an intuitive understanding of the underlying biological laws. He explored the factors that influence the origin of new species or are responsible for their extinction and see the operation of Darwinian and Lamarckian forces. L-A-M-A-R-C-K-I-A-N determining the survival of the fittest. Similar insights can be experienced in regard to the interaction of different life forms in all the permutations of their synergisms and antagonisms within the framework of planetary ecology. The consciousness of all living matter can also be associated with the exploration of the contradictions and conflicts intrinsic to life, with attempts to estimate the relative power of life's self-preserving forces versus self-destructive potentials, and with an assessment of the viability of life as a cosmic phenomenon. Experience of this kind can result in an advanced awareness of and sensitivity to ecological problems related to technological development and rapid deindustrialization. Rapid industrialization. Next up heading, consciousness, consciousness of inorganic matter. The experiential, experiential extensions of consciousness in LC sessions are not limited to the world of biology. They can include macroscopic and microscopic phenomena of inorganic nature. Subjects have repeatedly reported that they have experienced consciousness of the ocean, characterised by its timelessness, fluidity, all-encompassing and soothing quality, and paradoxical combination of immutability and dynamic change. On other occasions, they have identified with what they felt to be consciousness of fire, with its endless versatility, impermanence, propensity to create and destroy forms, and purifying potential. Rather common is a subjective awareness of the forces unleashed in natural catastrophes, the destructive as well as the creative, mountain-forming aspects of volcanic eruptions, the dynamic tension and moving masses involved in earthquakes, and the power of air currents in windstorms are just a few salient examples. Modern technological varieties of these experiences have also been described in the sessions. It is possible to explore the consciousness of a computer or identify with a flying jet, orbiting spaceship and other modern inventions. Many LSD subjects have also stated that they experienced consciousness of a particular material. Most frequently it was diamond, granite, gold and steel. Similar experiences can reach even the micro-world and depict the dynamic structure of the atoms, the nature of the electromagnetic forces involved, the world of interatomic bonds or the Brownian dance of the molecules. In the light of such phonological realms, LSD subjects often consider the possibility that consciousness is a basic cosmic phenomenon related to the organisation of energy that exists throughout the universe. In this context, human consciousness appears to be only one of its many varieties and outgroups. Episodes of consciousness of inorganic matter can be accompanied by various insights of a philosophical and religious relevance. They can mediate a new understanding of animism and pantheism, of the parallels between spiritual states and material substances as described as alchemical writings, as 
Empedocles, uh, Empedocles doctrine of the four elements, or of the significance that war has in the Taoist teachings. For individuals who have been immersed in the consciousness of granite, or that of volcanic processes, it was easy to comprehend why the Hindus see the Himalayas as a representation of reclining Shiva, or why the Hawaiians worship the forces inherent in volcanic eruptions as the goddess Pele, P-E-L-E. Experiences of the consciousness of particularly stable, immutable and durable substances are perceived as being high spiritual states involving an element of sacredness. Some subjects volunteered the insight that the Himalayas, from the Hindu point of view, the granite sculptures of the Egyptians, or the pre-Columbian golden statues, did not only did not really represent metaphors for deities or images thereof, they actually were the deities. It was the unchangeable, perennial and undifferentiated consciousness of these materials that was worshipped because it differed so dramatically from the highly versatile, specifically focusing and turbulent states of consciousness characterising human beings. Next subheading, planetary consciousness. This is a rare phenomenon usually occurring in advanced sessions of an LSD series. In this experience, the consciousness of the subject seems to encompass all aspects of this planet, including its geological substance, the inorganic materials on its surface, and the totality of life forms. From this point of view, the Earth appears to be a complicated cosmic organism with the different aspects of geological, biological, cultural and technological evolution on this planet seen as manifestations of an attempt to reach a higher level of integration and self-realisation. Next subheading, extra planetary consciousness. Here, the subject experiences phenomena related to celestial bodies other than this planet and to astronomical events occurring in our solar system or outside it. Accounts of various LSD subjects mention in this context conditions on the surface of the moon, thermonuclear processes inside of the sun, the unusual physical circumstances on various planets, exploding supernovas, quasars and pulsars, and contracting large suns resulting in black holes in the universe. A special type of experience in this category is that of consciousness of interstellar space, reported on several occasions by various individuals. It is characterised by feelings of infinity and eternity, tranquility, serenity, purity and unity of all opposites. It seems to have its spiritual counterpart in the experience of the void described later in this chapter. LSD subjects, sophisticated in mathematics and physics, have occasionally reported that many of the concepts of these disciplines that transcend rational understanding can become more easily comprehensible and be actually experienced in altered states of consciousness. These illuminating insights involve such theoretical systems as non-Euclidean geometry, Riemann's geometry, that's a R-I-E-M-A-N-N, of an n-dimensional space, Minakowski's space-time, and Einstein's special and general theories of relativity. The relativity of time and space. The curvature of space. The idea of an infinite but self-enclosed universe. The interchangeability of matter and energy. Various orders and degrees of infinities. Zeros of different magnitudes. 
All these difficult constructs of modern physics and mathematics were on occasion understood and actually subjects experienced in psychedelic sessions. Next subheading, out-of-body experiences, travelling clairvoyance and clairaudience, space travels and telepathy. This group of ESP experiences can be understood in terms of an extension of consciousness beyond the usual spatial limits. The sensation of leaving one's body is a frequent occurrence in the LSD sessions. Some individuals have experienced themselves completely detached from their physical bodies, hovering above them or watching them from another part of the room. Occasionally, the subject can also lose the awareness of the physical setting of the session, and his consciousness moves into various experiential realms and subjective realities that appear to be entirely independent of material reality. Less frequently, this experience has the form of travelling clairvoyance and clairaudience, in which the individual feels himself moving to another place in the physical world, and can give a detailed description of the situation he encounters. Attempts to verify such extrasensory perception sometimes bring interesting results. In rare instances, the subject has the feeling that he can actively control such a process, transcend the usual limits of space, and travel at will to any location he chooses. The following is an example of such a space travel from a training session of a psychiatrist. It illustrates the nature of these phenomena and also shows the difficulties that can occur if the subject tries to experiment on the interface of two realities and put his experience to a rigid test. The first three hours of my LSD sessions were experienced as a fantastic battle between the forces of light and darkness. It was a beautiful illustration of the passage from the ancient Persian Zend Avesta. Um, that's Zend, Z-E-N-D, Avesta, A-V-E-S-T-A. Uh, described the fight between the armies of Ahura Mazda and Ahriman. Ahriman. It was fought on all conceivable levels, in the cells and tissues of my body, on the surface of our planet throughout history, in the cosmic space, and on a metaphysical transcendent level. Occasionally, I had a rather convincing feeling that the battle I was witnessing and experiencing had something to do with the relationship between matter and spirit, in particular with the entrapment of spirit in matter. After this battle was over, I found myself in a rather unusual state of mind. There was a mixture of serenity and bliss with the naive and primitive faith of the early Christians. It was a world where miracles were possible, acceptable and understandable. I was preoccupied with deep problems of time and space, and the insoluble paradoxes of infinity and eternity that baffled our reason in the usual state of consciousness. I could not understand how I could have left myself be brainwashed into accepting the simple minded concept of one-dimensional time and three-dimensional space as being mandatory and existing in objective reality. It appeared to me rather obvious that there are no limits in the realm of spirit and that time and space are arbitrary constructs of the mind. Any number of spaces with different orders of infinities could be deliberately created and experienced. A single second and eternity seem to be freely interchangeable. I thought about higher mathematics and saw deep parallels between various mathematical concepts and altered states of consciousness. 
In this situation, it suddenly occurred to me that I do not have to be bound by the limitations of time and space and can travel in the time-space continuum quite deliberately and without any restrictions. This feeling was so convincing and overwhelming that I wanted to test it by an experiment. I decided to try travelling to the city of my birth, which was several thousand miles away. After visualising the direction and the distance, I set myself into motion and tried to fly through space to the place of destination. This effort resulted in an experience of flight through space at an enormous velocity. But to my disappointment, I was not, going, was not getting anywhere. I stopped this activity and reconsidered the situation. I could not understand that the experiment would not work in spite of my convincing feeling that such space travel was possible. Immediately, I realised that I was under the influence of my old concepts of time and space. I continued thinking in terms of directions and distances and approached the task accordingly. All of a sudden, it occurred to me that the proper approach would be to make myself believe that the place of the session was actually identical with the place of destination. When I approached the task in this way, I experienced peculiar and bizarre sensations. I found myself in a strange, rather congested place full of vacuum tubes, tubes, wires, resistors and condensers. After a short period of confusion, I realised that I was trapped in a TV set located in the corner of the room of the, of the apartment in my native city where I had spent my childhood. I was trying, somehow, to use the speakers for hearing and the tube for seeing. Suddenly, I understood that this experience was a symbolic expression ridiculing the fact that I was still hung up on my previous beliefs concerning space and matter. The only way of transmitting images at long distances that was conceivable and essential for me was based on the use of electromagnetic waves, as in television broadcasting. Such a transmission, of course, is restricted by the velocity of the waves involved. At the moment when I realised and firmly believed that I could operate in the realm of, spirit, of free spirit and did not have to be restricted even by the velocity of light or other types of electromagnetic waves, the experience changed rapidly. I broke through the TV screen and found myself walking in the apartment of my parents. I did not feel any drug effect at that point, and the experience was as sober and real as any other experience of my life. I walked to the window and looked at the clock on the street corner. It showed a five hour difference from the time in the time zone where the experiment took place. In spite of the fact that this difference reflected the actual time difference between the two zones, I did not find it to be convincing evidence. I knew the time difference intellectually, and my mind could have easily fabricated this experience. I felt I needed a much more convincing proof of whether or not what I was experiencing was objectively real in the usual sense. I finally decided to perform a test, to take a picture from the wall and later check in correspondence with my parents if something unusual had happened at the time in their apartment. I reached for the picture. But before I was able to touch the frame, I was overcome by increasingly unpleasant feeling that it was an extremely risky and dangerous undertaking. I suddenly felt the uncanny influence of evil forces and a touch of something like black magic. It seemed as if I was I were gambling for my soul. I paused and started analysing what was happening. Images from the world's famous casinos were flashing in front of my eyes. Monte Carlo, 
the Venetian Lido, L-I-D-O, Las Vegas, Reno. I saw roulette balls spiraling at intoxicating speeds, the mechanical movements of slot machines, dice jolting on the green surface of the gambling tables during a game of craps. Game of craps. Scenes of gamblers involved in Baccarat, B-A-C-C-A-R-A-T, and the flickering lights of the Kino panels, K-E-N-O. This was followed by scenes of secret meetings of statesmen, politicians, army officials, and top-notch scientists. I realised that I had not yet overcome my egocentrism and could not resist the temptation of power. The possibility of transcending the limitations of time and space appeared to be intoxicating and dangerously seductive. If I could have control over time and space, an unlimited supply of money appeared to be guaranteed, together with everything that money can buy. All one had to do under those circumstances was to go to the nearest casino, stock market or lottery office. No secrets would exist for somebody controlling time and space at will. He could eavesdrop on summit meetings of political leaders and have access to top secret discoveries. This would open undreamed of possibilities for controlling the course of events in the world. I started understanding the dangers involved in my experiment. I remembered passages from different books warning against toying with these powers before the individual overcomes his ego limitations and reaches spiritual maturity. There was, however, something that appeared even more relevant. I found out that I was extremely ambivalent in regard to the outcome of my test. On the one hand, it seemed extremely enticing to be able to liberate oneself from the slavery of time and space. On the other hand, it was obvious that something like this had far-reaching and serious consequences and could not be seen as an isolated experiment in the voluntary control of space. If I could get confirmation that it was possible to manipulate the physical environment at a distance of several thousand miles, my whole universe will collapse as a result of this one experiment, and I will find myself in a state of utter metaphysical confusion. The world as I knew it would not exist anymore. I would lose all the maps I relied on and felt comfortable. I would not know who, where and when I was and would be lost in a totally new, frightening universe. The laws of which would be alien and unfamiliar to me. I could not bring myself to carry through the intended experiment and decided to leave the problem of the, ob- of the objectivity and reality of the experience unresolved. This made it possible for me to toy with the idea that I had conquered time and space. Well, at the same time, it allowed me, in case of the whole thing became too frightening, to see the entire episode as one of my peculiar deceptions due to the intoxication of my brain by a powerful psychedelic drug. The moment I gave up the experiment, I find myself back in the room where the drug session took place. I never forgave myself for having wasted such a unique and fantastic experiment. The memory of the metaphysical horror involved in this test makes me doubt, however, that I would be more courageous given a similar chance in the future. Occasionally, telepathic experiences can be observed in psychedelic sessions. The firm feeling of an LSD subject that he can read the minds of the persons present in the session or that he can tune in to people in other parts of the world is more frequently a self-deception than an objectively verifiable fact. 
Besides gross distortions and misinterpretations, there are, however, situations that are strongly indicative of genuine extrasensory perception. Accordingly, an LC subject can be unusually accurate in his awareness of the sitter's ideation and emotions without even looking at him. Two individuals who have sessions at the same time can share many ideas or have parallel experiences without much verbal communication and interchange. In exceptional cases, a claim made by an LSD subject about telepathic contact with a distant person can be supported by objective evidence obtained by independent investigation. Next uh, big subheading uh, in bold letters is spatial constriction of consciousness. And the subheading of that, organ, tissue and cellular consciousness. In this type of experience, the individual's consciousness seems to be confined to areas smaller than the usual body image. In most instances, it involves the parts of the subject's body and physiological processes that under normal circumstances are not accessible to awareness. Such phenomena thus combine a spatial constriction of consciousness with its functional extension. Subjects in this state have the sense of tuning in to the consciousness of various organs or tissues of their body. They can witness the action of the pacemaker in the heart, the contractions of cardiac musculature, and the opening and closing of the heart valves. In a similar way, it is possible to observe hepatic, hepatic, hepatic function, H-E-P-A-T-I-C, and the resulting production and collection of gal, the digestive processes, and reabsorption in the gastrointestinal tract, or, for that matter, the function of any other organ. In this state, consciousness often seems to regress all the way to the cellular level or even subcellular processes. On occasion, LSD subjects have stated that they experience themselves as neurons in their own brains, white and red blood corpuscles, uterine epithelium, or germinal cells. The commonly reported experience of identification with the ovum and sperm at the time of conception belongs to this category. Another interesting phenomenon is the conscious exploration of the cellular nucleus and the genes in the chromosomes. This can be combined with the feeling of reading one's DNA code. As, is, as, in, as in the case of other transpersonal experiences, episodes of organ, tissue and cellular consciousness can be associated with many concrete insights, various details concerning anatomy, histology, physiology and chemistry of the body found in the accounts of such experiences often reveal a level of information that the subjects did not have before the sessions. Some of the phenomena in this category bear a close resemblance to various scenes in the movie Fantastic Voyage. References to this film are frequently found in the descriptions of such LSD experiences. The following excerpt from an LSD training session of a psychiatrist has several good examples of experiences of cellular and tissue consciousness. The most interesting sequences of this session were yet to come. My consciousness became less and less differentiated and I started experiencing a strange excitement that was dissimilar to anything I had ever felt in my life. The middle part of my back was generating rhythmical impulses 
and I had the feeling of being propelled through space and time towards some unknown goal. I had a very vague awareness of the final destination, but the mission appeared to be one of utmost importance. After some time, I was able to recognise to my great surprise that I was a spermatozoid and that the explosive regular impulses were generated by a biological pacemaker and transmitted to a long flagella flashing in vibratory movements. I was involved in a hectic super race toward the source of some chemical messages that had an enticing and irresistible quality. But then I realised that the goal was to reach the egg, penetrate it and impregnate it. Impregnate. Impregnate. In spite of the fact that this whole scene seemed absurd and ridiculous to my sober scientific mind, I could not resist the temptation to get involved in this race with all seriousness and full expenditure of energy. Experiencing myself as a spermatozoid competing for the egg, I was conscious of all the processes involved. What was happening had the basic characteristics of the physiological event as it is taught in medical schools. There were, however, many additional dimensions that were far beyond anything that could produce infancy in a usual state of mind. The consciousness of this spermatozoid was a whole autonomous microcosm, a universe of its own. There was a clear awareness of the biochemical processes in the nuclear plasm. In a nebulous atmosphere, I could recognise the structure of the chromosomes, individual genes and molecules of DNA. I could perceive their physiochemical configuration as being simultaneously elements of ancestral memories, primordial phylogenetic forms, nuclear forms of historical events, myths and archetypal images. Genetics, biochemistry, mythology and history seem to be inextricably interwoven and were just different aspects of the same phenomenon. This micro-world of the spermatozoid was at the same time influenced and governed by some forces modifying and determining the outcome of the race. They seemed to have the form of karmic, cosmobiological and astrological force fields. The excitement of this race was building up every second, and the hectic pace seemed to increase to such a degree that it resembled the flight of a spaceship approaching the speed of light. Then came the culmination in the form of a triumphant implosion, an ecstatic fusion with the egg. During the sperm race, my consciousness was alternating between that of the sperm heading towards its destination and that of the egg with a vague but strong expectation of an overwhelming event. At the time of the conception, these two split units of consciousness came together, and I was both germinal cells at the same time. Strangely enough, both units involved seemed to interpret the same event in terms of individual success as well as joint triumph. Both of them achieved their mission. The sperm, that of penetration and implosion. The egg, that of incorporation. A single act involving two participants and resulting in total satisfaction on both sides. I, f I felt that here was an ideal model, not only for the cooperation of the male and female principle in adult sexual activities, but for interpersonal situations in general. The task seemed to be to arrange the circumstances in such a way that all parties involved interpret the outcome 
as their personal success. I saw at that time how the complexity and multitude of the existing interpretive frameworks would make something like this possible. After the fusion of the germ cells, the experience continued, still in the same hectic pace set by the sperm race. In a condensed and accelerated way, I experienced embryogenesis following conception. There was again the full conscious awareness of biochemical processes, cellular divisions and tissue growth. There were numerous tasks to be met and critical periods to overcome. I was witnessing the differentiation of tissues and formation of new organs. I became the branchial arches, the pulsating fetal heart, columns of liver cells and cells of the intestinal mucous membrane. An enormous release of energy and light accompanied the embryonal development. I felt that this blinding golden glow had something to do with biochemical energy involved in the precipitous, precipitous, precipitous growth of cells and tissues. At one point, I had a very definite feeling of completion of the fetal development. This was experienced again as a great accomplishment. Individual success as well as triumph of the creative force of nature. Even when I returned to my usual state of consciousness, I had the feeling that this experience would have a lasting effect on my self-esteem. No matter, no matter what my life trajectory will be, I have already had two distinct successes. Having won the sperm race in a multi-million competition and completed successfully the complicated task of embryogenesis. Although my reason forced me into a condescending smile while I was thinking these ideas, the emotions behind them were strong and convincing. So next large uh, subheading, experiential extension beyond the framework of objective reality. The one I just read, uh, the cat, you know, the whole category I read was called. Um, just going back a sec. The experiential extension within the framework of objective reality. This is beyond the framework of objective reality. We're going beyond that. So, uh, next subheading for that is spiritualist, spiritualistic, spiritistic, spiritistic. Sorry, spiritistic and mediumistic experiences. These rare experiences closely resemble phenomena known from spiritistic seances and occult literature. The LSD subject can, for example, suddenly enter a state similar to a mediumistic state, transoy. His facial expression is strikingly transformed, his countenance and gestures appear alien, and his voice is dramatically changed. He can speak in a foreign language, write automatic texts, and produce obscure hieroglyphic designs or draw strange pictures and unintelligible squiggles. Other experiences from this category can have the form of encounters with astral bodies or spirit entities of deceased persons, as well as extrasensory communication with them. Some of these phenomena have the characteristics of spirit possession as described in a number of medieval sources or by anthropologists studying religious practices and beliefs of various cultures. The following episode 
from an advanced LSD session of a psycholytic series at the Psychiatric Research Institute in Prague is an example of a profound and shattering spiritualistic experience. It was observed in the course of therapy that Dana, D-A-N-A, a neurotic patient briefly mentioned earlier in Chapter 3. In one of her sessions, Dana was reliving an extremely painful traumatic episode from her childhood. Her father was hospitalised for many years in a mental institution for a severe psychotic condition. When she was 10 years old, he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and was discharged from the hospital to die at home. Dana had to witness the deterioration of her father and was at his bedside at the time of his terminal agony. In the LSD session, she literally regressed to this situation and became a frightened little girl watching the death struggle of her father. At first she watched his terminal agony, but later started experiencing agony herself. In full identification with her father, she approached the moment of physical death. When they had transcended the boundary between life and death in this peculiar dual unity, she went into a state of almost uncontrollable panic. It was not possible to communicate with her for at least two hours. When contact was re-established, she was able to describe her experience in retrospect. After we crossed the threshold of life and death, I found myself in an uncanny and frightening world. It was filled with fluorescent ether, ether, ether of a strangely macabre nature. There was no way of assessing whether the space involved was finite or infinite. An endless number of souls of deceased human beings were suspended in that luminescent ether. In an atmosphere of peculiar distress and disquieted excitement, they were sending me non-verbal messages through some identifiable extrasensory channels. They appeared unusually demanding and it seemed as if they needed something from me. In general, the atmosphere reminded me of the descriptions of the underworld that I had read in Greek literature. But the objectivity and reality of the situation was beyond my imagination. It provoked a state of sheer and utter metaphysical horror that I cannot even start describing. My father was present in this world as an astral body. Since I entered this world in union with him, his astral body was as if superimposed over mine. I was not able to communicate, communicate with you, the therapist at all, and it seemed pointless anyway. I was sure that you knew as little about this uncanny world as I did, and you could not, therefore, be of any help. It was by far the most frightening experience of my life. In none of my previous LZ sessions did I encounter anything that would come close to it. There's a picture here, uh, a painting of reflect, a painting reflecting Dana's spiritualistic experience in one of her LSD sessions. She relived her father's terminal agony, which she had witnessed as a child after being an observer. Dana experienced full identification with her father in this situation. Having passed through the moment of death, she found herself in an uncanny universe filled with fluorescent ether. Souls of deceased people were suspended in space and communicated with her telepathically. When she looked at her hand, she saw on it 
the superimposed astral hand of her dead father. And we use that as the picture. Because heavy, heavy. Next uh, subheading, experiences of encounters with superhuman spiritual entities. The ancient theme of an encounter and interaction with spirit guides, teachers and protectors is one of the most valuable and rewarding transpersonal experiences in LSD sessions. The subject perceives these beings as superhuman or spiritual entities existing on higher planes of consciousness and higher energy levels. Only exceptionally is this experience accompanied by an actual image or communication in verbal form. Sometimes the spirit guides are a source of light or energy with or without concomitant vibrations of a high frequency. Usually the individual only senses their presence and receives messages, instructions and explanations through various extrasensory channels. Typically the ego identity of the subject is preserved and he relates to these entities as separate from himself. It is possible however to experience various degrees of fusion or even full identification with them. Spirit guides appear in the sessions of various capacities. Sometimes they give an explanation of what is happening or advice in regard to the desirable approach to the LSD experience. On other occasions, they accompany the individual through various difficult experiences, like Virgil in Dante's Divine Comedy giving them intellectual and spiritual support, or even creating shields of positive energy that protect them from the destructive influences of evil entities. Such guides can also give specific directives and suggestions concerning the subject's present life situation or the general course of his life. Sometimes these spiritual helpers remain unrecognised. Over time, the subject identifies them as various aspects of his higher self, or as discarnate religious teachers and enlightened beings, such as Sri Ramana Maharishi, Ramakrishna, Sri Aurobindo, Mahatma Gandhi, or Jesus Christ. The phenomenology of this experiential category has been dramatically described by John C. Lilly in his book, The Centre of the Cyclone. In his account, Lily shares with the reader his powerful encounters with two guardians from higher planes of consciousness who played an important role in various critical points, periods of his spiritual search. Next up, Penny. Uh, experiences of other universes and encounters with their inhabitants. The strange and alien worlds that LSD subjects discover and explore in this type of experience seem to have a reality of their own, although not within the range of our cosmos. They appear to exist in other dimensions, in universes coexistent with ours. The individual can encounter entities who have bizarre physical forms, operate on the basis of some incomprehensible laws, and have metabolic and physiological processes completely different from our own. They are perceived as obviously intelligent creatures, but their ideational and emotional characteristics do not resemble anything known to man. On several occasions, LSD subjects reported contacts or encounters with flying saucers and other types of extraterrestrial spacecrafts. 
sometimes. They were seen in as visitations from remote parts of our universe, or as astral expeditions from other dimensions and parallel worlds. Such alien universes experienced in LSD sessions can be much smaller or infinitely bigger than ours, and can be governed by unfamiliar forms of energy. Having been through these extraordinary cosmic adventures, individuals have likened them to the most ingenious science fiction stories ever written. Some subjects have referred to Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels. Others have compared them to various sequences of the American television series, Star Trek. Next subheading, Archetypal Experiences and Complex Mythological Sequences. An important group of transpersonal experiences in LSD sessions are phenomena for which C.G. Young has used uh, the terms primordial images. Dominance of the collective unconscious or archetypes. They repeatedly occur in sessions of both those subjects familiar with this concept and naive individuals without any previous exposure to Jungian ideas. In its broadest sense, the term archetype can be used for all static patterns and configurations, as well as dynamic happenings within the psyche that are trans individual and have a universal quality. Such a delineation and definition of archetypes would apply to many categories of phenomena described in this chapter. Here we will discuss only the group of transpersonal experiences of an archetypal, uh, the archetypal nature that represent generalised biological, psychological and social types and roles. An LC subject can, for example, experience full identification with the archetypes of the martyr, fugitive, outcast, enlightened ruler, tyrant, fool, good Samaritan, wise old man, avarice, vicious spoiler, ascetic or hermit. These experiences are closely related to, but not identical with, the elements of group consciousness described earlier. In the latter, the subject feels simultaneously identified with all individual members of a particular group. These archetypical experiences represent personified concepts of the roles involved, i.e., or the Jews, or as compared with the Jew. Archetypal phenomena of this kind can reflect various levels of abstraction and different degrees of generalisation. In some of the most universal archetypes, the subject can identify with the roles of the mother, father, child, woman, man or lover. Many highly universalised roles are felt as sacred, as exemplified by the archetypes of the Great Mother, the Terrible Mother, the Earth Mother, Mother Nature, the great hermaphrodite, or cosmic man. Archetypes representing certain aspects of the subject's personality, such as the shadow, animus and anima, or persona, are also rather common in advanced LSD sessions. The images of the golden age and dark age, as well as the vision of the flow of all the consecutive Hindu yugas, Kali yugas, yeah, Hindu yugas, can be mentioned as examples of rich, extensive, and generalised archetypes. Sometimes, instead of experiencing the individual and usually static archetypal images described above, LC subjects participate in legendary mythological or fairy tale themes and complex sequences. Some of these have rather simple and ordinary motives, such as those of the evil stepmother and the battered stepdaughter the good brother and bad brother, 
and great love endangered by unfortunate circumstances or intrigued intrigues. Others are much more specific and unusual. Here belong the motifs of eternal damnation found in the stories of Tantalus, Sisyphus, Sisyphus, Prometheus, Achesus, A-H-A-S-U-E-R-U-S, or the Flying Dutchman. The theme of the birth of the theme of the birth or death of the hero, legend of man's ambition and his thirst for knowledge is exemplified by the stories of the the Dalilus, the Dalilus and Icarus um, or Faust and the myth of the superhero accomplishing difficult difficult labours or saving and liberating an imprisoned and endangered woman. Not frequently, unsophisticated subjects have reported stories that strongly resemble ancient mythological themes from Mesopotamia, India, Egypt, Greece, Central America and other countries of the world. These observations closely, closely parallel C.G. Young's descriptions of the appearance of relatively unknown but distinctly archetypal themes in the dreams of children and unsophisticated parents, as well as in the manifest symptomatology of some schizophrenics. Next subheading Experiences of encounters with various deities. This category is closely related to the previous one. In a strictly Jungian sense, encounters with various deities and or identification with them would be considered archetypal experiences. However, those professionals acquainted with Jung's theories who volunteered for LSD sessions seem to distinguish clearly between the archetypes in the form of generalised roles and universal prototypes and experiences involving concrete deities related to specific cultures. Sometimes subjects are familiar with the gods or demons they are experiencing and can give them specific names and assign them to the corresponding cultural areas. On other occasions... They can give detailed descriptions of the visions involved, or even draw them and identify the culture of origin. It is then up to the therapist to obtain the necessary information and assess the degree of accuracy of the insights involved. There also exist situations in which the identity of such an appearance remains obscure or uncertain, in spite of the combined efforts of the subject and the therapist to clarify it. Most deities appearing in LSD sessions fall into two rather sharply defined categories. The first group includes those that are associated with the forces of light and good. The second is comprised of deities of darkness and evil. Typical representatives of blissful and beneficent divinities are Isis and Osiris, Ahura Mazda, Apollo, various Bodhisattvas and Krishna. Examples of wrathful deities would be Set, Hades, Hariman, Ariman, Kali, Moloch, Astarte, Quetzalcoatl, uh, or Satan. In serial LSD sessions, these deities usually appear for the first time in the perinatal phase. In that context, the images of those gods representing dark forces are associated with the birth agony of BPM2 and 3. Blissful divinities then accompany the ecstatic experience of BPM1 and 4. Later on, such images of deities occur independently 
either in the form of static visions or as part of the, the mythological sequences mentioned in the previous section. Occasionally, LC subjects witness entire cosmological dramas, such as the battle between the forces of Ahriman and Ahura Mazda, and the war between the gods and titans, the fall of Lucifer and other angels, various versions of the creation of the world, the biblical deluge, and the last judgment, or Armageddon. Subjects experiencing an encounter with various blissful and wrathful deities usually have very powerful emotional reactions, ranging from ecstatic rapture and divine bliss into metaphysical terror and feelings of insanity. However, most individuals do not have the feeling that they are confronted with the supreme being or the ultimate force in the universe. Next subheading, intuitive understanding of universal symbols. Visions of various universal symbols form an important part of LSD visions, or LSD sessions. Like. They can occur independently or in association with various other types of transpersonal phenomena. The experiences of universal symbols are followed or accompanied by an intuitive understanding of various levels of their esoteric meaning. Many individuals undergoing LSD treatment have had visions of complicated geometrical compositions closely resembling oriental mandalas. Some subjects were even able to draw them and gave quite detailed explanations of what was meant by various aspects of their design. It is rather common for individuals who are in no way familiar with oriental and mystical literature to offer interpretations of universal symbols in accord with the pertinent esoteric texts. The most frequent symbols observed in the sessions were the cross, the six-pointed star of David, the Indorian swastika, uh, Indoranian is it? I-N-D-O-I-R-A-N-I-A-N, Indoranian, Indoranian swastika. We know what the swastika is. Right? The ancient Egyptian Ankh, A-N-K-H, Nile cross or Crux and Sata. A-N-S-A-T-A, the lotus flower, the Taoist yin and yang, the Hindu sacred phallus, Shiva lingam, the diamond and other jewels, the Buddhist wheel of death and rebirth, and the circle frequently appearing as the archetypal snake Ouroboros devouring its tail. We have mentioned elsewhere that as a result of LSD sessions, some subjects have developed insights into entire systems of esoteric thought. Thus, Individuals unfamiliar with the Kabbalah have had experiences described in the Zohar and Sefer Yetzara and have demonstrated a surprising familiarity with Kabbalistic symbols. Others spontaneously played with the transcendental meaning of numbers and came to conclusions that were parallel with Pythagorean algebra or numerology. Subjects who had previously ridiculed uh, astrology and had a condescending attitude toward alchemy, discovered deeper meaning in these systems, and gained a deep appreciation of their metaphysical relevance. Such new understanding was also observed in regard to various ancient forms of divination, such as the I Ching and Tarot. Next subheading, activation of the chakras and arousal of the serpent power, Kundalini. 
Many experiences from transpersonal LSD sessions bear a striking resemblance to the phenomena described in various schools of Kundalini Yoga as signs of the activation and opening of individual chakras. We have a star beside this one. Chakras, a Sanskrit term for wheels, are hypothetical centres of radiation of primal energy, prana, roughly corresponding to certain levels of the spinal cord and certain body organs. Most systems distinguish seven chakras. Number one, root chakra, muladhara, muladhara, I think. Two, genital chakra, shavadhashvana, I'm not going to spell it, sorry. Three, navel chakra, manapura. Four, heart chakra, anahata. Five, throat chakra, rishuddha. Six, brow chakra, ajna, A-J-N-A. And seven, crown chakra, sahasrana. Sahasrara. S H A S S S A H A S R A R A Sahasrara. The flow of prana is mediated by one central conduit, Susuna. S U S H U M N A, and two lateral conduits, Ida, which is I D A, and Pingala, P I. N G A L A. These parallels do not exist only for experiences of a positive nature. The phenomenology and consequences of mishandled or poorly integrated LSD sessions is very similar to the complications occurring in the course of unsupervised and amateurish Kundalini practices. We've got uh, a cross beside this one, whatever the Cassini's cross beside it, but uh, that version is Gopi Krishna, G O P I, Gopi Krishna, describing the history of his spiritual search in Kundalini. The evolutionary energy in man gives numerous examples of the adverse side effects of naive experimentation of this sort. Those subjects familiar with Indian philosophies and religions often make specific references to the serpent power, various chakras and to tantric practices. Intellectual knowledge of this area is not, however, a necessary prerequisite for these experiences. They can occur in completely naive individuals. In such cases, these persons have been able to give surprisingly detailed descriptions of similar experiential sequences and sometimes even of the corresponding theoretical systems without, of course, using the specific Sanskrit terms. In general, the chakra system seems to provide very useful maps of consciousness that are of great help in understanding and conceptualising many unusual experiences in LSD sessions. Detailed discussion of these interesting parallels will be beyond the scope of this chapter and are discussed further in my other books. The, the stop is it meant to be stormy? It says the stommy. <laughs> the stommy, maybe it is stormy, but the stom, S-T-O-M-Y it's spelled here. But the stommy search for the self and the cosmic game. 
I'll have to find out if it's called the Stormy the Search for the Stormy Search for the South. I like this to be the Stormy Search for the South. <laughs> an extremely rare and extraordinary experience that can occur in advanced LSD sessions is that of the arousal of the Kundalini in the sacred part of the spinal cord and the upward flow of spiritual energy with the sequential activation of all the chakras. In its complete form, this process can result in a profound transcendental experience of an ecstatic and integrative nature related to the highest chakras, the thousand petal lotus. I would like to mention in this connection a very interesting discussion that followed my presentation describing the parallels between LSD experiences and Indian religions at the first international conference for scientific yoga in New Delhi, India, December 1971. The audience of over 200 persons represented many different spiritual orientations existing in contemporary India, including several groups of Tibetan Buddhists who had fled from Tibet after the Chinese invasion. The discussants seemed to converge on the fact that of all the systems of yoga, Kundalini Yoga bears the closest resemblance to LSD psychotherapy. Both techniques me uh, mediate an instant massive release of energy, produce profound and dramatic experiences, and can bring impressive results in a relatively short time. On the other hand, they involve the greatest risk and can be quite dangerous if they are not practiced under careful supervision and responsible guidance. Next subheading, Consciousness of the Universal Mind. This is one of the most profound and transforming experiences observed in LSD sessions. Identifying with the consciousness of the universal mind, the individual senses that he has experientially encompassed the totality of existence. He feels that he has reached the reality underlying all realities and is confronted with the supreme and ultimate principle that represents all being. The illusions of matter, space and time, as well as an infinite number of other subjective realities, have been completely transcended and finally reduced to this one mode of consciousness, which is their common source and denominator. This experience is boundless, unfathomable and ineffable. It is existence itself. Verbal communication and the symbolic structure of our everyday language seem to be a ridiculously inadequate means to capture and convey its nature and quality. The experience of the phenomenal world and what we call usual states of consciousness appear in this context to be only very limited, idiosyncratic and partial aspects of the overall consciousness of the universal mind. This principle is totally and clearly beyond rational comprehension, and yet even a short experiential exposure to it satisfies the subject's intellectual, philosophical and spiritual craving. All the questions that have ever been asked seem to be answered, and there is no need to question any further. The best approximation to understand the nature of this experience is to describe it in terms of the concept of Sakinananda. Sasid Ananda, that's S-A-C-C-I-D-A-N-A-N-D-A. -A -A. I've heard of Ananda, but not Sasid. Sasid Ananda, that occurs in Indian religious and philosophical writings. This composite Sanskrit word consists of three separate roots. Sat means existence, 
or being, sit, C-I-T, awareness and intellect, and ananda, bliss. The formless, dimensionless, and intangible principle that an individual can perceive as the universal mind is characterised by infinite existence, infinite awareness and knowledge and infinite bliss. Any descriptions and definitions, however, necessarily use words that we associate with the phenomena of the three-dimensional world. They are, therefore, incapable of conveying the essence of this ultimate transcendental principle. Discussing experiences of this nature, subjects have frequently commented on the fact that the language of poets, although still highly imperfect, seems to be a more adequate and appropriate tool for this purpose. One understands why so many great seers, prophets and religious teachers have resorted to poetry, parable and metaphor in order to share their transcendental visions. The experience of, the, of consciousness of the universal mind is closely related to that of cosmic unity described earlier, but not identical with it. It's important concommitments, commitments, commitments, yes, concommitments, are intuitive insights into the process of creation of the phenomenal world as we know it, and into the Buddhist concept of the wheel of death and rebirth. These can result in temporary or enduring feelings that the individual has achieved a global, non-rational and transrational understanding of the basic ontological and cosmological problems that beset existence. Next subheading, the super-cosmic and metacosmic void. The last and most paradoxical transpersonal phenomenon to be discussed in this context is the experience of the supercosmic and metacosmic void, of the primordial emptiness, nothingness and silence, which is the ultimate source and cradle of all existence and the uncreated and ineffable, ineffable supreme. The term super and metacosmic used by sophisticated LSD subjects in this context refer to the fact that this void appears to be both superordinated to and underlying the phenomenal world. It is beyond time and space, beyond form or any experiential differentiation, and beyond polarities such as good and evil, light and darkness, stability and motion, and agony and ecstasy. The void also involves transcendence of our ordinary concept of causality. On occasion, LC subjects have reported that they have witnessed the emergence of Sasid Ananda from the void as the first formulation thereof, or contrarywise, it returns into the void and disappearance. This phenomenon has not been associated with the disqualifying feelings of absurdity that one would experience in usual states of consciousness while considering the possibility of something originating out of nothing or vanishing without traces. Similarly, the fact that something's happening without a precedent, sufficient cause or initiating impulse, is not questioned by the subject on this level. No matter how paradoxical it might seem, the void and the universal mind are perceived as identical and freely interchangeable. They are two different aspects of the same phenomenon. The void appears to be emptiness pregnant with form and the subtle forms of the universal mind are experienced as absolutely empty. 
so we've gone through all of them there. Um, let's go back here, let's have a look. Remember, it, it gave an introduction of the... Uh, yeah, so we've done that last part of experience. Experiential extension beyond the framework of objective reality. The last one's just super cosmic and metacosmic void. Right, so now still st this chapter's still going on, the transpersonal experience in LC sessions. We've got another subheading, and it's called The Significance of Transpersonal Experiences in LSD Psychotherapy. <laughs> Understanding the dynamics of transpersonal experiences is important for LSD psychotherapy, since certain transpersonal phenomena have specific consequences for post-session intervals. The mechanism involved is similar to that described for coex systems on the psychodynamic level or the BPM and the perinatal level. After an LSD session that has involved transpersonal elements, the individual seems to remain under the influence of the dynamic structure that dominated the termination period of that particular session. For example, following an LSD experience in which an individual has not resolved episodes of severe embryonal crises, he can experience for days or months various difficult symptoms. The nature of the problems depends on specific fetal distress involved. They can be panic anxiety, paranoid feelings, or anticipation of a disaster if attempted abortion is if attempted abortion is the event in question, or nausea gastrointestinal distress and feelings of being poisoned in the case of toxic influences during pregnancy. Exceptionally, the subject may continue to experience elements of the symbiotic union with the mother projected on the therapist or sitter. His ego boundaries may be loose and precarious and it may be difficult for him to differentiate his own feelings and thoughts from those of the therapist. The subject may form the delusional conviction that he can read the therapist's mind, and that the latter, in turn, has access to his thoughts. He may suspect the therapist or try to influence him telepathically or through hypnosis. As discussed in detail in my book, LSD Psychotherapy, episodes of this sort are frequent in the psycholytic treatment of schizophrenics. Conversely, if the subject is coming down from a session in which he was turned into the feelings of oceanic bliss associated with undisturbed embryonal existence. The post-session interval is usually characterised by relaxation, joy and serenity. The individual in this situation will feel that the world is a safe and friendly place to be. In the case of phylogenetic memories and animal identification, unusual and often bizarre anatomical and physiological feelings and sensations that formed an integral part of these phenomena in the LSD session can persist for various periods of time following the actual LSD exposure. Past incarnation experiences activated and unresolved in LSD sessions can have a very powerful effect on the individual in the post-session interval. The specific content of a karmic pattern often influences the person's perception of self, of his present life situation, of his social network. It also modifies his behaviour in the direction dictated by the content of the past incarnation experience. Conversely, the resolution of a karmic gestalt in an LSD session 
can be followed by very beneficial changes in the subject and his interpersonal field. The simplification, clarification and improvement of interpersonal and situational problems after such reliving is sometimes dramatic. In some instances, such changes involve circumstances in which the individual was not instrumental in any conceivable material way, and which could not, therefore, be directly influenced by him and his new state of mind. Thus, very specific changes have occurred in the life and behaviour of other people who were, according to the subject's description, part of a particular karmic pattern that has been worked through in an LSD session. Such individuals were not present in the session or aware of it, and sometimes they were not even a part of the subject's immediate life situation. They were at various distant places, and there was no real contact between them and the subject. The time or specific changes in their lives coincide exactly with the manifestation, unfolding and resolution of the karmic pattern in the LSD session. These unusual coincidences observed in LSD work involving past incarnation experiences seem to indicate that events in the sessions are part of a broader pattern, the scope of which transcends the energy field of the individual. One has to think in this connection about C.G. Jung's concept of synchronicity. It seems that Jung's approach can be very useful in many instances of transpersonal phenomena, where the application of the principle of causality obviously fails to bring satisfactory answers. One more observation should be mentioned in this context. The subject who has experienced activation of a strong karmic pattern without its final resolution can end up painfully aware of its utmost relevance. He can have the feeling of being crushed by the burden of bad karma and preoccupied by a desire to undo the painful consequences of his past deeds. In a similar fashion, other types of transpersonal phenomena have consequences for the free intervals between LSD sessions. The experience of dual unity with another person can persist in the form of deep sympathy, empathy, love and understanding. The most salient examples of this phenomenon have been observed between spouses and sexual partners whose intimate life was transformed after such an experience in the direction of oceanic and tantric sex. A similar situation can be observed in the case of archetypal experiences, when a strong archetype dominates the termination of a session. Its influence on the individual can continue after the effect of the drug has worn off. The subject's perception of himself, his behaviour and his environment can be strongly influenced by its specific content. If such an archetypal structure has the form of a specific deity, demon or other individual entity, the resulting condition can be indistinguishable from possession state. Here the subject can have the feeling that the entity in question has taken over and controls his thoughts, emotions and behaviour. Many transpersonal experiences also have a strong influence on the individual's values, attitudes and interests. Thus, experiences of the collective and racial unconscious can generate a sensitivity to the needs and problems of another culture and create a deep appreciation for its religion, art and life philosophy. Elements of animal and plant consciousness can increase an individual's love of nature and make him more responsive to ecological problems. Profound transcendental experiences, such as the activation of the Kundalini 
or consciousness of the universal mind or of the void, in addition to having a very beneficial effect on the subject's physical and emotional well-being, are usually central in creating in him a keen interest in religious, mystical and philosophical issues and a strong need to incorporate the spiritual dimension into his way of life. Another subheading, this is called Transpersonal Experiences and Contemporary Psychiatry. Having defined transpersonal experiences and discussed their most important representatives as they occur in the LSD sessions, we will make a few general comments about their place in modern psychiatry and psychotherapy. The situation in regard to these phenomena is actually very similar to that of the perinatal experiences described earlier. It certainly is not the first time behavioural scientists and mental health professionals have been confronted with transpersonal experiences, nor is it the use of psychedelic substances the only framework in which they can be observed. Many of these experiences have been known for centuries or millennia. Descriptions of them can be found in the holy scriptures of all the great religions of the world, as well as in written documents of countless minor sects, factions and religious movements. They have also played a crucial role in the visionary states of individual saints, mystics and religious teachers. Ethnologists and anthropologists have observed and described them in Aboriginal sacred rituals, ecstatic and mystery religions, indigenous healing practices and rites passage of various cultures. Psychiatrists and psychologists have been, have been seeing transpersonal phenomena without identifying and labelling them as such in their everyday practice in many psychotic patients, especially schizophrenics. Historians, religionists, anthropologists and experimental psychiatrists and psychologists have been aware of the existence of a variety of ancient as well as modern techniques that facilitate the occurrence of transpersonal experiences. They are the same procedures that were described earlier as conducive to the emergence of the perinatal elements. In spite of the frequency of these phenomena and their obvious relevance for many areas of human life, surprisingly few serious attempts have been made in the past to incorporate them into the theory and practice of contemporary psychiatry and psychology. The attitude of most professionals has oscillated among several distinct approaches to these phenomena. Some professionals have been only marginally acquainted with various transpersonal experiences and have more or less ignored them. These individuals feel that such phenomena do not really have much practical or theoretical relevance, and they have turned their attention to other areas of psychology and psychopathology that they consider important for the understanding of the human mind in health and illness. For another large group of professionals, transpersonal phenomena are clearly too bizarre to be considered within the framework of variations of normal mental functioning. Any manifestation of this sort is then readily labelled psychotic, whether it occurs in a schizophrenic patient, in a normal subject after the ingestion of a psychedelic drug, or an individual who has spent several hours in a sensory deprivation tank, in a Zen student, in a Zen student during a session, or in mystics and religious teachers of the stature of Sri Ramanana Maharishi, Sri 
or a Bindu or Jesus. From this point of view, there is no practical reason to study the nature and dynamics of the of these phenomena, and no major heuristic breakthroughs should be expected from such an undertaking. This approach necessarily involves a value judgment, namely the assumption that trans- transpersonal phenomena are irreconcilable with normal mental functioning and should, therefore, be suppressed. Once science discovers the secret to effective therapy for psychosis, it will be possible to eradicate globally all such symptoms of mental dysfunction in a way not dissimilar to episodes of malaric, malaric fever. A practical consequence of this type of reasoning is attempting to use tranquilizers in the treatment of all persons who have transpersonal experiences. The rationale involved is to control at least the symptoms when the cause of the pathological processes itself still defies science. Yet another group of professionals has manifested definite interest in various aspects of the transpersonal realm and made serious attempts at theoretical explanations and conceptualizations. They have not, however, acknowledged the uniqueness of this category or the specific characteristics of such phenomena. In their approach, transpersonal experiences have been explained in terms of old and widely accepted paradigms. In most instances, they are reduced to biographically determined psychodynamic phenomena. Thus, intrauterine experiences, as well as the perinatal experiments appearing in dreams and free associations of many patients are usually treated as mere fantasies. Various religious thoughts and feelings are explained from unresolved conflicts with parental authority. Experiences of cosmic unity are interpreted as indications of primary infantile narcissism. Some archetypal images are seen as symbolic disguise for the subject's father or mother figure. And past incarnation experiences are considered a reaction formation to one's fear of impermanence and death, or a wishful compensatory fancy reflecting dissatisfaction with various aspects of the individual's present existence. Only a few rather exceptional professionals have shown a genuine interest in and appreciation of transpersonal experiences as phenomena of their own right. These individuals have recognised their heuristic value and their relevance for a new understanding of the unconscious, of the human potential and of the nature of man. Among these, William James, Roberto Azagloli, A-S-S-A-G-I-O-L-E-I, never heard of him, Roberto Azagoli, Carl Gustav Jung and Abraham Maslow deserves special notice. The scientific and popular interest in psychedelic drugs triggered by the discovery of LSD has brought the problem of transpersonal experiences into a new focus. Observations made in LSD sessions of patients and experimental subjects, as well as in individuals involved in illicit self-experimentation, clearly demonstrate the limitations of the old approaches to the understanding of transpersonal realms. In addition, large numbers of professionals have had the chance to experience transpersonal phenomena in their own training sessions and recognise their unusual and specific nature. This set of data was one of the major heuristic streams that converged into transpersonal psychology as a new and separate discipline. During the many years of my research in LSD psychotherapy, I have spent thousands of hours observing and analysing transpersonal phenomena 
in the sessions of others as well as in my own. At present, there is little doubt in my mind that they represent phenomena sui generis that originate in the deep unconscious, in areas that have been unrecognised and unacknowledged by classical Freudian psychoanalysis. I am convinced that they cannot be reduced to the psychodynamic level and adequately explained within the Freudian conceptual framework. In this context, I have frequently heard an objection against the material emerging in the LSD sessions that that deserves special attention. Some professionals who have had access to material from LSD psychotherapy have expressed the opinion that the differences in the experiences of subjects can be explained in terms of the high suggestibility of the LSD state and the implicit or explicit indoctrination by the therapist. According to to this criticism, a a psychoanalytically orientated LSD therapist tends to get from his patients Freudian experiences, whereas an individual with a Jungian orientation sees mostly archetypal material. There is no doubt that the therapist is an important factor in LSD psychotherapy and that can be and that he can facilitate certain types of experiences. It is also true that it is generally possible to interpret the same content in both Freudian and Jungian terms. I believe, however, that the psychodynamic and transpersonal levels have their own specific characteristics and independent existence and cannot be reduced to each other. If a Freudian and a Jungian therapist interpret the same experience differently, each in his own terms One of them has necessarily failed to understand the nature of the material involved. One interpreter was very probably neglectful or not aware of certain phenological and experiential characteristics of the experience and or ignored the context in which it occurred. Careful analysis that takes all these factors into consideration makes it almost always possible to identify the nature of a certain phenomenon and the level of the unconscious on which it it originates. The history of my own LSD research can be used as an argument against the above objection that the specific differences in LSD experiences are due due to indoctrination by the therapist. I started my own clinical experiments with LSD as a member of the Prague Psychoanalytic Group and a convinced Freudian. My a priori disbelief in ranking concepts was further reinforced by what I learned in medical school about the melianization um, of the cerebral cortex. That's M-Y-E-L-I-N-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. Melianization. We've got a star beside that. A frequent objection against the existence of intrauterine or birth memories is the reference to the immaturity of the brain of the newborn and the incomplete melianization of the cortical neurons. Although I found C.G. Young's writings an inexhaustible source of fascinating information on human culture, I share the view of many Freudians that his concepts were were a manifestation of mythomania with little, if any, scientific relevance. In psycholytic LSD sessions, all my subjects sooner or later transcended the narrow psychodynamic framework and moved into perinatal and transpersonal realms. 
This happened in spite of my intense effort and need to understand the events in the sessions in psychodynamic terms. It was the everyday observation of transpersonal experiences over many years that finally forced me to expand my theoretical framework. During this process, I recognised not only the theoretical relevance of the transpersonal realm, but also, also its immediate clinical importance. These broad implications of LSD research were surmised in my recent article entitled Theoretical and Empirical Basis of Transpersonal Psychology and Psychotherapy Observations from LSD Research. This area is discussed in detail in my book, The Cosmic Game. I will conclude this section with a short clinical example that illustrates some of the points in the above discussion. Several years ago, I was called, a consul called as consultant to a patient hospitalised for a psychotic breakdown triggered by LSD. He was on high dosages of Melaville, M-E-L-L-E-R-I-L, and was seen regularly by a psychoanically orientated psychotherapist. In spite of an enormous investment of time and energy on the part of the clinical staff, essentially no therapeutic progress had been made during the six months since his admission. The patient told me that he had been discussing with his therapist the content of his 25 un unsupervised LSD sessions from the past, as well as some of the unusual experiences that he had been having in everyday life since his last session, which precipitated his psychotic breakdown. He complained that the therapist did not understand the nature of the phenomenon they were discussing and did not really know what he, the patient, was talking about. The patient felt no respect for this therapist, considered him ignorant and did not develop a workable relationship with him. The patient's general impression about the therapeutic procedure was that it was as if somebody entirely blind was trying to lead a one-eyed person who had a serious problem with eyesight of his only eye. He felt that he had gotten lost and shipwrecked while exploring areas of the mind that the therapist did not know anything about and did not even believe existed. A brief discussion revealed that in his early sessions the patient had had many aesthetic and psychodynamic experiences, but his more recent sessions were predominantly perinatal and transpersonal nature. The problem that triggered his psychotic episode seemed to have been his inability to face the ego death. During therapeutic interviews, his therapist was making constant efforts to interpret in Freudian terms many mystical, religious and archetypal phenomena from the patient's LSD sessions. Where this was not possible, he labelled them simply as psychotic, which essentially excluded them from further discussions. For many hours, the discussions with the therapist revolved around a vision that the patient had had in his last LSD session. He referred to it as a scene of worshipping the cosmic phallus. It occurred in typically Jungian framework, was associated with a number of archetypal experiences and had a de de definitive religious and mystical emphasis. To save myself a long and complicated description, I will mention only that the symbolic vision in question appeared to be closely related to the Hindu concept of Shiva Lingam. The analyst made numerous attempts to convince the patient that his vision 
daily indicated a traumatic exposure to an adult to an adult male's penis at some time during his childhood. He kept suggesting that he must have seen his father naked, and that in the LC session, this experience be- became transformed into the image of the cosmic phallus. When the patient did not accept this interpretation, the therapist spent many hours in frustrating attempts to analyse his alleged resistance. When, in our discussion, I recognised and acknowledged the transpersonal nature of this symbol and talked about it in the appropriate context, the patient soon developed a positive relationship, proved to be interested in therapeutic work, and was rather cooperative. He was willing to undergo an LSD session with careful preparation and supervision to work through the underlying problem. After the session, his clinical symptomatology improved to the extent that he could be discharged from the hospital. There you go. Now that was a big chapter. Uh, three hours of recording material there. Amazing, eh? Um, okay. Hope you got... Well, if you listen to all that, that was a, that was a big download of intense psychological data. Um, did I download all that? Well, I read it all, and I was taking it bit, you know, taking it in under the ground on, but, you know, this integrative process is deep. It's, uh... Anyway, thank you for listening, and I'm going to stop and save the episode. And I hope you join me for the final chapter, multi-dimensional and multi-level nature of the LSD experience.